0: So, do you, have you had much success working with digital agencies in the past? Well, as you know, I had an agent, I had a digital agency, and since I sold that, I've come to understand how rare a beast that was because I could totally rely on it to do all of my own digital work. And it's uh, it's it's tricky to find a really high quality digital agencies. I use a couple, but uh, it's not a simple process to find a good one.
1: And for the rest of us who don't own agencies like you do or did, it is really hard. And we were, we've been super lucky to find and work with the superstars at Digital Minds Group for almost a decade, actually. And they've helped us scale the business. I think we we're probably doing about 20 million bucks at the time in sales. And we're obviously almost at a billion now. And the main difference between Digital Minds and other agencies is Digital Minds are really well structured to take on your own business's KPIs. They essentially act as an extension of your own internal team. And that allows DMG to scale as you grow your business. So whether you're spending a few hundred thousand dollars a month on digital marketing or even a few million, Digital Minds have the best specialists in digital media to supercharge your growth. And their client base really speaks for themselves. They work with Gumtree, Cars Guide, News, Merry People, Blue Thumb, and of course, they work with us at luxury escapes. So if you're keen to have a chat with them, I know they'll be super happy to look after any Contrarians listeners and even conduct an audit of all your paid media. So go to Digital Minds Group. .com.au and click on the big orange button to book a strategy call with the team. Hi everyone, and welcome to the contrarians with Adam and Adir, the only pod that takes you behind the scenes and gives you the inside word on the world of tech and growth from the insiders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of Luxury Escapes, journalist and angel investor. And I'm joined by my great mate, Adir Schiffman. Executive Chairman of Catapult Sports and Serial Investor. In today's episode, we talk about the incredible business acumen of Taylor Swift, the downfall of eBay and Catch of the Day, and what retailers can learn from the markets of Nepal. We're back. You're back. You've been traveling. You wouldn't tell us where you went last week, so... The whole contrarian's <laughs> list has been literally waiting all week to find out where did he go? I
0: feel, I'm so excited to see you. I actually feel like I haven't seen you for ages. I feel because it feels like months. I know it's because, so what people may not realise is we do this every week, but the day of the week we do it on differs. Yeah. And so I think I haven't seen you for a week and a half
1: or so. Yeah, because we filmed like on a Thursday last,
0: yeah. last week. So week. it feels like forever. So I'm very happy to be back. I'm happy to talk about where I went, but it's nice to see you again. I actually put a photo up of where I was on our great LinkedIn photo. page. It was a good photo, right? right? And I put it out there and said, can anyone guess where it was? And Mike Lee, Michael Lee oh, guessed yeah. where it was. Uh, I think
1: he, my, he, former employee he worked for
0: you for a bit. He did. So it works, uh, work, works for my deal, I think, now. So he, um, he correctly guessed that I was in Kathmandu. That's, That's exactly where guess. I was. What I was subsequently told about the photo, and people can see this if they go to the page, is that there is a T-shirt hidden amongst yeah. the – in imagery that says "I love Nepal." <laughs> if you zoom in, so I assume he didn't look at that and actually <laughs> recognise it. But yeah, I spent I had to go to Singapore for some stuff, and I got invited to a wedding in Kathmandu. I you were climbing Everest. I didn't climb is it Everest I didn't,
1: season now because there's like a there's a really short window, isn't it? I
0: assume it? it's not Everest season because it's winter time. I don't yeah, I don't no, think you can not. climb it in yeah. winter. Yeah. It is apparently trekking season though, and there are a lot of tourists. Although it hasn't recovered super well after COVID, yeah. I think it's just recovering. I have to say, firstly, if you've never been to an Indian wedding, I highly oh, it's an Indian wedding. Indian wedding. I highly recommend befriending some Indians who are <laughs> who are single but in serious relationships.
1: Was it a whole seven day event, or how long? did Yeah, you it was three
0: days. Three, days. three days. Yeah, it was. And you went to
1: all. Yeah, economics.
0: it was unbelievable. And you know, like I, you know, I'm a people lover, so I yeah. met all these new friends from all over the world, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Kathmandu itself is just this incredible city. Its what population? I think there's only one or one and a half million oh, people small. in a country of thirty million because yeah. everybody lives in the countryside in Nepal. Yeah. The city itself, there's there's basically no traffic lights in this city, and there's these cops that are trying to direct traffic, but they don't really care. Like <laughs> it's kind of work it out for yourself. And you know these places, I, I hear it's like Vietnam, where I haven't been to Vietnam, but where. When you cross the road, you just have to um, you just have to go right. Yeah. It's like um, predictability, not politeness, is maybe how I would describe it. And so this is even crazier. Like you just start walking. There is never any break in the traffic. Yeah. There are no traffic lights to yeah. cross at. So you just have to start walking. Yeah. And I usually follow a local. So if a local's going, I'll just like right next to them. I did that the first time. By the end of it, I was going when the locals were standing on the curb. Still, <laughs> I thought that
1: might be over the definition yeah. of overconfidence. A little bit. Could have been, been back to a one-person pod. Based on that,
0: <laughs> but it's a great place. It's very safe, yeah. and when I, they, they have lots of markets there, but like, it feels like the way they buy stuff and the way the markets are set up, it just would have been the way it worked in Roman ancient Roman yeah. times. Like, there are basically no supermarkets, or yeah. it's all in markets.
1: How do you feel the living standards were for the average Nepalese person?
0: Well, I'd rather live here if that's obviously. The but like,
1: was it was there a lot of poverty uh, you can see, or was it was it sort of developing? You know,
0: there are not really. So I walked around the city pretty extensively. There's one tourist area. I generally hate tourist areas. Yeah. Um, I, there are not there are not many people like sitting on the streets begging for money.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So what what I think is their standard of living is much lower than ours, but I'm not sure the average quality of life is necessarily mm-hmm. worse than ours. If yeah. you know what I mean. Absolutely. The biggest complaint most of them had was about the government, and this is kind of you know an insight into commerce in some ways so they've had a tumultuous history of of civil wars and unrest yeah. and all sorts of stuff and are now a, a multi-party democracy as of you know a few years ago and really there's a lot of disillusionment that I heard with the, the politicians in that country and you and really everyone who was young and intelligent that I spoke to had plans to leave the country. In fact, they all want to move to Australia. There's some yeah. special relationship between Australia oh, really? and Nepal. It turns out, yeah, uh, lots of lots of N- Nepali people in Australia okay. and lots and lots of Australian tourists to Nepal. Yeah. And so, I think this is what happens when you have, you know, governments where people lose faith, where young people lose faith, you just get this immense brain drain out of yeah. the country, and I feel like that's happening there to the to the benefit of Australia. I think a lot of them are coming here. Yeah. Um but if you want to know how to go back to basics on retail, you just go through the Nepal markets <laughs> and it is like retail 101. Merchandising. Because yeah. like, they're all selling the same stuff. Like yeah. Basically what Nepal does is textiles. Yep. And so they do lots of Kashmir and lots mm. of – I bought a few um, – Is there a
1: place called Kashmir?
0: There is a disputed territory called oh, Kashmir of between oh, of India Kashmir and Pakistan. Yeah, what was yeah, Yeah, yeah. And areas. so that's where – I think yeah. that's where the goats were originally from that yeah, they get Kashmir from. Yeah.
1: But it's spelled with a K though, not a –
0: uh, yeah, so, spell with a cat. They spell it differently, but yeah. it's, ju- it's the same thing, yeah. right? Effectively, I learned the difference between cashmere and pashmina, oh, which yeah. I think means they just get it from different parts yeah. of the same goat. <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> I had I bought a blanket made out of yak wool, yeah. which is actually maybe even better than cashmere wow. in my opinion. Much more e- e- like eco- ecologically sustainable. Yeah. And so they have all these um, textiles and every stall in the market sells basically the same thing, give or take. And so they have to figure out how to merchandise and how to sell to get your attention. But they're not pushy. Like they're very polite. Mm. And so you just – and then there's haggling. And like at one stage I was haggling pretty hard over like a chess set (laughs) and um, and the guy – I've kind of started feeling badly and the guy turns to me and breaks character and says to me, don't feel bad. It's just all part of the game. That's what he says to <laughs> me. The fourth wall. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so um, I really think you know there is something to learn about how to. Be a retailer in these markets in the developing world. Like- There's a great, Jeffrey Archer book, As
1: the Crow? You, I don't know if, if oh yeah, really I don't read that when Jeffrey I was Archer, young. I no, I read him a lot when I was young. Yeah, I absolutely. He's obviously not. He's not going to win many ports, but or whatever. But yeah. he's uh, and he's got a great As the Crow Flies book. It's like a seven hundred page book. And it's typical. Yeah. It's classic Archer, but it's basically a story about the guy who kind of creates the equivalent of self-riches, but started trading vegetables on the floor. So mm. I love that sort of rags to riches yeah. story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really loved your when I was young. Yeah. He's a pretty interesting guy. The other thing I'll say about this trip, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do about the food because usually this food, like the spices are a bit overwhelming for my stomach and I basically just decided I'm going to have to embrace the food and so I stopped asking if stuff was spicy <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just going to eat anything and everything and like, oh, you know, by day three... I was fine. Oh, wow. Like I pushed through it, and I think <laughs> I can now eat Indian food, provided like I can't eat the extreme spicy stuff. This wasn't yep. super spicy, but it broke my it broke my resistance to Indian food.
1: So Indian I'm I'm food across food. the line. I like Indian food, but Indian food in India. And have um, you heard of the Oberoi Hotel Group? Yeah, the Roland group, big in India. used to be they, owned the, they used to own the Windsor briefly here. Yeah. Uh, one of the daughters actually, uh, Oberoi lives in Melbourne. So, she's, oh really? She's, um, Maybe the the, their
0: their hotels are six star hotels so uh, when they open congrats. their own hotels.
1: They have their own training course, Oberoi. So mm. if you want to – you basically have the Oberoi University in here essentially. Yep. It's easier to get into Harvard than Oberoi. Like it's, that, it's like 40 right. out of 40,000. The, the numbers are just off the chart. Yep. They, that, that number's wrong, but imagine that kind of ratio. Everyone
0: compares it's easier to get in uh, than, ha- than it's Harvard. Harder, it's, like, yeah. it's harder to get into Google than Harvard. I don't know, no, no one's going to want to go to Harvard anymore no. after what's just
1: happened. But it's going to be easier to get into everything good. than yeah. Harvard. But, 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 so the, they, they get the absolute best of the best. The hospitality is, is next level. I, I had a – so I went to India to visit our team there because we have a team in, in Bangalore and, and a few other places in India. And I w- visited there and went to the Oberoi in Bangalore yeah. for lunch with the Oberoi guys. And the, I was eating vegetarian. Now I'm vegetarian, but back then I wasn't. But I yeah. didn't want to eat meat in India just for just – for, I was there for five days for work. I didn't want to be off action. I went there. It was the best meal – to this day, the best meal I've ever had. It was And it was vegetarian. It was unbelievable. The, the food quality – so we sell an we sell Oberoi tour in India actually sometimes okay. like once a year and it's always very popular. So we basically go from Oberoi to Oberoi. In which city do you sell a? It? Oh, it's, it's four, you go to like Agra, you go to like four different Oberois. Uh, as a across, package? Yeah, as a that's package. That's a great deal. And you basically get driven around in a private car. Really? So and it's not over expensive Tell either. me the next time that's I will. happening. We're actually doing – I'm not sure I can really, – um, my guys might get angry. But we're doing a Signature series. So we did, our, we did our first Signature series. I'll tell you about this last year. We did a – with Matt and Gary from Marsh Chef. So the original Marsh chef yep. host, the amazing guy. So we did a Vietnam food tour with them and we had strictly limited to 70 people and they went and did, they filmed a, I actually did a recce, filmed a video for it yep. so it was incredible video basically like watching master yeah it was so these guys are such professionals they're yeah. so good they filmed it and I, and we, it was obviously quite expensive because we got to pay for them and all that kind of stuff yeah. it was really good and i thought i'm not sure we're going to sell all these out quickly like it's it's amazing but i wasn't, yep. wasn't sure we sold out in 23 hours at a waiting list that was like three how much what, how, ballpark how much was? i think it, it was we got flights with singapore as well it was about ten thousand dollars a person so economy uh, flights. Days. That was with economy flights. Yeah. Uh, but it was oh, clearly so. We that's not underpriced it because it was. Well,
0: that's not a, well. That's right. Well, you're absolutely right that you underpriced. it. Yeah. But that's not exorbitant at all. No, I thought, not for that kind I, of quality. I reckon. Why did you do it if you only had seventy to sell?
1: Uh, well, it was still profitable for us. But for us, it was well, that was the first time. Now we're doing a whole. Series with the guys, so they've literally just come back from India last week. Yeah. So that's going to be incredible. So they're going to we're staying in Oberoi. you going to and Matt and Gary are these guys are like they're more famous in India than Australia. Everybody knows they've, they've got, really they've got millions and millions of fans in India. They walk, they get mobs in the streets. Uh, so it's massive. It's like there. the cricketer Brett Lee, like Brett Lee, like you know exactly.
0: He speaks Hindi,
1: Brett yeah. Lee. do you know those? He's massive in India. It's yeah, massive. Sort of uh, massive. So we literally just just filmed. So we'll be launching our India signature series soon. So hopefully that doesn't – well, hopefully it does sell You should, 20 you should sell it
0: for
1: $20,000 this year. <laughs> I think no, because if
0: you sold that in 23 hours for 10K, you've got to just test the price
1: elasticity on this stuff. Uh, and that's a really good point. And part of what we want to do is we want to make sure there's lots of value for the customer. So we don't want to push it to the nth degree. Whilst that maximises our profit, we want to make sure the customer has an incredible experience and wants to go on the next signature series, which I, I've no doubt it will. All anyway right, I will, understand so.
0: that. But what about – you know what you should do? You should um, – Provide differential pricing. You know, the I, I think I've said this to you before. Like the greatest prices in yep. the world are Starbucks. Like, yeah. if you want to go and buy spend six dollars on an overpriced coffee, yeah. you can. Yeah. If you want to spend fifteen dollars on an yeah. overpriced coffee, can, they've got something to take every available cent that you've got and make you feel like you're getting value for it. They are great at pricing. I think Starbucks is eighty. 80- billion combinations you get
1: there's something like crazy they numbers. know
0: they, they know because not only are they good at taking your money like <laughs> they will not leave you if there is a cent that you're prepared to spend they will get it <laughs> but they will deliver you something for each of those cents yeah. that you feel is right there, value yeah.
1: that's a premium good
0: and so you need to think about this all right so you don't want to just fleece people and double the price yeah. but someone that's willing to spend 20k it's bad it's bad commerce, like it's bad <laughs> commerciality, if you leave them with ten of that twenty, because they wanted to spend twenty, and so you don't want to just charge them twenty, because you want it to provide value. Yep. So you have got to figure out the incremental upsells yep. to get the next ten k out of them. The challenge we
1: have at Luxury Escapes is because we sell a different product sort of every day. We don't like if you're selling. Uh, widgets you can slightly increase the price to you find that equilibrium point because we sell something we only got one small window to sell oh, yeah there's actually a lot of risk if you overprice something because we we, ne- we will never reduce because you price sell
0: perishables something. effectively it's
1: effectively perishable so it's it, it's much harder mm-hmm. to price things in electroscape's world than is in most other businesses
0: yeah, yeah one of the mistakes that businesses make is they get a customer and what they think is how much can we sell this thing for they don't think about How much is the customer prepared to spend with us? And so often they might sell a mattress. Yeah and they would sell the mattress and they think, can we sell this mattress for $1,800, not $1,500? Yes, and then they're excited. But what if that customer had $3,000 they were prepared to spend in that store? That's $1,200 that's walked out the door with the customer. And so for me, the trick in retail is always trying to understand the profile of your customer and giving them valuable things to buy up to the limit they're prepared to spend. I think that's one of the ways you build businesses.
1: You're right. I think... For, for us, it's, we look at how do we maximize the lifetime value of a customer. So that's providing great value if somebody yep. comes back. Could, because uh, the challenge with our business is we're not – there's zero stickiness. You can just go to booking.com or Airbnb yeah. or whatever. Uh, you just type in a different URL. So it's different if, you, if you've got a business that's sticky, then absolutely you're, you're pushing the price. This yep. is where we talk about Atlassian. One of the things that I like about Atlassian is the fact they're a super sticky business and they can push the price up a lot more. That's, yep. that's probably that saving grace, if anything. Whereas we live in a world where we can't push up price. So yes, we can maybe get away, with selling to some people at 20 grand, but we want to make sure they come back and have an incredible Yes, your serious.
0: challenge is your business is fundamentally a transactional business, a yep. transactional relationship and how can you move it beyond a purely transactional relationship which obviously you've done with your best spending customers. Like they do have a relationship with the brand that you've got yep. and they trust you and they trust the brand we but have it, a- it is challenging in a business that is just selling a series of unrelated transactions Absolutely. to form a deeper relationship with the customer.
1: We, we, we used to have a thing called a platinum club but we're bringing it back with yep. wider or little- we're launching later this year. Will you give Elbow free access to it? To the lounge? Yeah, to um, your Platinum your son. Club lounge. Um, his son. Only his son. <laughs> so we, we, we used to have our Platinum Club, but it was, it was similar to a Champions Club, but, but different, obviously, because we're not an airline. But yeah. we, we'd always ask, and Blake, my old GM, who now runs Flipper, would always ask, stand, stand up if you bought one, two, three, four luxury escapes. Yeah. So like, sit and then sit down. Everybody would sit down when they hit that number. And remember, we would have regularly people who bought 20 in the last sort of two years. Somebody had bought 46 in four years, which is an incredible rate of purchasing holidays. So So
0: clearly that's beyond just a transactional relationship. There's something deeper that's going on there. Can I just talk about one last thing before you move me on, which was my Singapore Airlines experience? Because I think you'll find it quite interesting. Because, you know, we talk a lot about – about customer service yep. on this podcast. Like, both of us are obsessed with the idea of customer service as a competitive differentiator. Mm-hmm. This was my Singapore Airlines experience. So my – I haven't flown them for a little while. You know, the r- main reason I haven't flown them is because they're in um, Star Alliance and so the status credits doesn't get me you're anything good because – Yeah, yep. or, or – I mean, I wish Virgin Australia you're would go into Star Alliance.
1: It doesn't matter about what status you are
0: because uh, you're in the lounge anyway. Well, you know – it. <laughs> It matters because if there's only a business class seat, you can't get into the first class lounge. And there's some other. Pr- anyway, that's They've some- got the
1: private room, which is for first class. First yeah. class is for PBS.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, status. Anyway, whatever. Like, yeah. th- these are minor problems. Why? Get, so I don't the have only a way
1: good you room. Get, Singapore's a bit weird. Yeah. So they've got something called. So the, the, if you're flying first class, you're in the private room, yeah. which is different. If you're flying, if you're a, the equivalent of a platinum, they call it PBS, yeah. which you can only get there through spending money, there's no other way to get there, on Singapore, uh, then you go into the first class lounge. It's a bit weird.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, Anyway, what it, ma- it probably is a dumb decision not to fly Singapore. I used to fly. I used, when I go to the east coast of the US, I don't like flying through LA. I find I get jet lagged yep. on those you terrible go, flights.
1: You go through
0: Middle East through a, a, well. I now go through the Middle East. Although so it's a very long flight the to Emirates, go through the Middle through East. Dubai. Yeah, through Emirates. Thirty-three three hours, I think. Yeah, well, it's, it's fourteen to it's fourteen to Dubai, yeah. and then another fourteen to yeah. New York. And the gap in the middle. Yeah, yeah. so, so it's a, but what I used to do is fly through um, Hong Kong. Yep. On Cathay, that was a great flight. But now I'm a bit like Hong Kong's freaked me Hong out Kong a bit.
1: To west coast though, right? Or well, you can go east coast? From yeah, right? that's a long flight.
0: No, you think about it. You fly? Oh, you go over the west y- coast? Yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You fly straight to the east coast, okay. right? So and so I used to do that. Now well, Singapore and that, does that as well. Yes, so Singapore does that. They they did it before COVID with an all business class right. flight, yep. and they've just brought it back. And so I, I probably will try that. But no anyway, flight, so I. I thought. You know what? It's yeah, it's so quiet. It's so direct. <laughs> it's so whatever. Anyway, and so Cathay I loved, but yep. because of all of the stuff that went on in Hong Kong over the over COVID, I kind of stopped flying them. Yep. But that was perfect because that was a one world points. Yeah, and so anyway, a good airline, so, yeah, they're a really good airline. So This is what I want to tell you. So Singapore, my last experience of Singapore was that they were really one of the world's best airlines at the top of tier one. Yeah. So, I just flew them now to Singapore and then Kathmandu. We can't judge the flight to Kathmandu. It's five hours yeah. and the seats are like, like, they're like. It's on the, a 737, right? Yeah, it's a 737 800 yeah. and you can't lie down, yeah. you know, anyway. So, we're not going to judge that, okay? The product on their long haul planes, I think I was flying an A350 out of Melbourne, yep. is good. But it feels a bit old, and the beds are not super comfortable. Do
1: you have the old bed that was quite wide, or the new, and you can pull down yourself, or a new bed that they have to pull down for you?
0: I don't, they pulled it down for oh, me, so but that, that was really more repeated. probably my just neediness. So the old one, so, I love
1: the old one. It was so wide; you fit a kid on there with you, like a little yeah, baby. Yeah, this felt
0: very. You. I don't know what this was. It was probably new because it was an A three hundred and fifty, so it's probably yeah, a new fit really out. Yeah, yeah, and so I found that the bed was a bit lumpy. I know that sounds weird, but it was a bit lumpy. Otherwise, yeah. it was fine. The space was fine. I would say, like, it's a seven or eight out of ten kind yeah. of business class oh, okay. seat. Yeah. Um, the, the service on board is unbelievable. Yeah. But then I find Qantas' service on board unbelievable as well. But the friendliness you're talking, you're of sig- about
1: in, in business here,
0: not yeah, of yeah. But I, like, I think through the plane, it's fantastic. Okay. And like the little touches, are the things that I like. Like, the, I tell you, the only thing I like is travel. You know, like nice crockery, nice cutlery. <laughs> like, it's all nice there, right? Yeah. By the way, you know, in. Um, economy class, Qantas gives you this bamboo disposable cutlery in economy class, yeah. whereas Singapore yeah. gives you proper stainless steel. Yeah, when we when we, when we ever in yeah, well, I was talking to someone in economy, and so <laughs> um, and you so, look at the curtain. No, no, yeah. like I was having a conversation. Like I was very interested to know, like you know, how these airlines are differentiating, yeah. and so so
1: I'll, that was I'll, I'll, all. I always walk through every cabin just because you're interested, like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: And so, um, what was interesting about this though is. So the in-flight experience was great. The product was pretty good. I think they need to fix update their product. Obviously, their first-class product, their suites are excellent. Suites are yeah. uh, um, but I think they need to upgrade their business class product. However, I had some problems on the ground, as in uh, like there was, some, there was a missed flight that oh, I had due to a delay, and so yeah. I had to fix some stuff. Yeah. The service that they provide on the ground is terrible. Really? Terrible. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's like they're sticklers to the rules because that's Singapore, but they break their own rules. But when they break a rule and ruin something, they don't relax your rule, they maintain your rule. (laughs) And so my on-the-ground experience with Singapore Airlines was so bad. There was only one person that he really bent over backwards to help me. It was so bad Mm. on the ground that I would reconsider flying with Singapore Airlines because of the ground experience I had. It's like it's a nice airline If everything goes smoothly, but the minute something goes wrong, it is a terrible airline. But the point is this: you know, these are two points. One is, you can really under—they would have spent a fortune on the in-flight fit out, lounges. You can completely undermine all of that magic just by delivering a bad service experience to the customer. But the flip side is, the one guy at the end that helped me. He helped me so much yeah, that he undid about 70% of yeah. the negativity that I felt. Yeah. And this is the thing that customer experience, it is a very emotional p- part of, of the product experience. And one person really bending over backwards to help you and making you feel special can fix all of the negativity that you have felt.
1: 100%. Can I give you about two quick Singapore yes. airline stories? One, uh, me and Blake, the guy I just talked about a minute ago, uh, we all we came back from Singapore – I had a points business flight. I think he had a premium economy cash flight or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, and, he'd, I checked in, I, and we both checked in together. So I checked in. He was then checking in, and he just stuffed up the day. Like, he just had the day wrong. Like, yeah. it was a day off. And it wasn't like a 12.05 a.m. situation. He just stuffed it up. Anyway, if this was pretty much any – in the US or an the Australian, or they'd say, sorry, sorry, mate, you're buying a new ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Singapore lady Singapore just goes <laughs> – Gave him a ticket for the day. no like really? Didn't even didn't question him, just gave him the ticket. That, that was the opposite to yours. That was I had the reverse experience. Yeah, this was when, the, how many years? Pre-COVID? Yeah, pre-COVID. That was like okay. 2017, 18. Okay. 2018 maybe. That's what I expected. Yeah. That's, so maybe that, who knows? That's, that's how it used to be. That, Their you
0: know. excuse, by the way, when they were providing with bad service, the first excuse was, you know, I don't actually work for Singapore Airlines. I'm just this outsourced uh, person. And I'm like, but you're sitting under a Singapore Airlines yeah. sign. Yeah, but we're just an outsourced. I can't
1: yeah. really help you. Yeah. Bad luck. That's frustrating. The other experience I had was I'm not sure if I told you this story before, but I was flying obviously points first class actually somewhere. I'm not sure if I was with Leslie and the kids at the time or not, mm. but I had uh, as you know I'm hip frugal from time to time, and I had these <laughs> these pants, and they had a, a you know your pants someone's got a hole in the crotch, so they had a it wasn't a massive it wasn't like the whole crotch was showing, but it was like a, a hole in there such that I pretty much had to chuck these pants away. They're my favourite pants. So I wanted yeah. to give them one more rare, but then I put them to put it the pasture yeah or throw them in the bin uh but i, had, I thought this got one more wear in it they were like super comfortable like she yep. knows that was sort of tightish but not too tight anyway so in singapore i give you the pajamas in first class i, I get the pajamas and the lovely hostess goes I give it go for my pants she, she goes i want to put hang them for you i said sure she goes oh they're broke. i said yeah uh don't judge me she goes do you want me to fix it i said huh oh my she goes, god goes can i fix it i said of course you can fix it anyway I wake up after sleeping, completely fixed. I got like a year and a half out of them. She's I would sewn have, them together.
0: I would have instantly proposed to her. <laughs> <laughs> that was – That's unbelievable. That I, had that at, I had that in a in – a, um, oh, one of the six-star hotel chains, not not a Four Seasons A. Eh? Mandarin. Yeah, Mandarin Oriental yeah. is that what it's called. Yeah. In, I think, Chicago. Yeah. Where every time I came back to my room – all of my clothes that I'd left were all perfectly folded yeah. and the cable from my computer, it's a bit of a long cable, yeah. it was like tied up God. with a bow around <laughs> it. So like that, and like the thing is, you know, the theme of this part of this show could be called like how customer service changes your product yeah. experience, right? Yeah. Like it, those little touches, businesses that do those little touches, they get lots of referral business. Yeah. They get people talking about their product. You know, I know that um, when, we, when I was doing um, – uh, sleeping duck and i think the service quality possibly has changed now yep. um but back then it was fantastic yeah. and it was so fantastic that people that would return the mattress because it had a 100 day yep. free return or something people that would re- return it would have such a good experience yep. that they would still refer yeah. the product to others and to so me that was mattress. the
1: holy grail yeah. right that was the holy grail we, we, we invest and have always invested very heavily in customer service at, at larks and we consider it not a cost specifically. We consider it a, an investment in LTB because mm. it's, that's essentially what you're doing. And ultimately the challenge is is you can give all the instruction and guidance and guidebooks all, all you want, but ultimately you really need people who are commercial enough to go the extra mile and know that it's worth that investment in their time and the business's time yes. to make it worthwhile for the customer, that they'll come back. And it's really hard because they don't get – and we reward people for – getting really good reviews, and all that kind of stuff. But it's really hard to find people, especially in customer service, which is a hard job, who are, who are that – we've got a, a few absolute rippers in the business who are yeah. constantly – you see it because I get every every review, whether it be one star or five star, I see. That's impressive. And you can see it's the same people over it's, – it's Vin, That's an unbelievable – That's an amazing people.
0: level of commitment that you have to staying across the reputation of your business. I would say that you would be one in 100 CEOs of a company this size that does something like that.
1: I think founders would be – like a founder getting a bad review is like somebody getting a, like a knife and slashing it across. Sometimes, and good, sometimes it's like literally our fault and we'll fix it up. And sometimes it's the customer's fault and you just kind of you have to put it to the side and yep. not be too emotional about it. But if it's our fault, it's it's a really good learning lesson that we can, let's fix this up. Do you ever go on the phones? Or sometimes. Not? You do, yeah. I think that's really important as well. Usually there's more like a big issue I'll get on the phone, but it's it's not. No, what I mean day. is. Or not, not regularly, no. I more handle the escalations. The right. Big escalations.
0: So I think um, the people that you want in customer service are people pleasers that just get their happiness. I want to go to all of the like psychologists and psychiatrists (laughs) in Australia and say everyone that's come to see you because they've got issues about having to please people, (laughs) I've got a job for them. I'm happy to pay them heaps because those – are like the woman who sewed up your pants, she just wanted to make you happy and she had pride in what she was doing and I think there is just something about people that – Gets their happiness by making others yeah. happy. They are born for customer service and roles. That
1: person who so my pay, didn't cost Singapore Airlines a cent because obviously she was she was on the plane anyway. But I would have told that story fifty times. I now told it to yep. five ten thousand people on the show. So the value of that person created for Singapore Airlines is. worth of referral value.
0: I'll try and and undo some of that positivity (laughs) with my experiences. You know where I find great customer service people in in physical retail? Yeah. Because they're there because they like serving customers, but they get treated really badly in physical retail. Mm. Also in hospitality, they get treated really badly by customers. And so you say to them, you want to make customers happy? I'll bring you into an environment where you can make customers happy and they're largely going to be nice to you and appreciate it. I find that that's a really good um, hunting ground for high quality CS people.
1: That was good. I want to move on because uh, we can't not talk about Taylor Swift who is taking the world. You can't not talk I about can't. Taylor Swift. I The reason I love I – I, I like Taylor's music, but the reason I love yeah. Taylor Swift – I liked it when she was a country singer. I like I love stories. still my favourite Taylor Swift song. Okay. It's, it's, maybe it's a bit passe. But just the, from the business aspect, there's so many great business yarns or business stories from this from Taylor and the, and the tour. It's super like, – I actually realised, you know Taylor Swift's Grandfather was like a super successful entrepreneur. I think it was like a big importer, sold, had a big business. And her grandmother was a famous opera singer. So she had really interesting... Right. If you look at Taylor Swift now, she's a incredible songwriter, but she's probably an even better business person. Agreed. Uh, so agreed. she's really got both of those aspects. But some of the really interesting facts... Obviously, she writes her own songs, which is... I think that's that's next level. I think if you write your own songs and perform, that's sort of... Easy. Does
0: she write the music for her songs as well? I think she does. Okay. I think she does. That's impressive. Uh, so, well, the- that's the- a new phenomenon. When I say new, I'm going well, to say... Yeah, but I'm going to say that's a... F- in the last, Mozart, I want to say new, in the last 50 Beethoven. years, all right, but that's a different era. Like, yeah. in, in in the in the modern era, let's say, m- music post 1900, yeah, the bulk of it were people that were singing other people's songs. Yeah. And so, really, this the rise of the singer songwriter in pop music, rock yeah. music, it's a relatively recent we're phenomenon, like in, I think a, right few, it's a few something. decade phenomenon,
1: yeah, yeah, but it, sure, it also writes tons of songs I'm for bit, other people, yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, so a uh, couple of really things I like about Taylor is she actually she was one of the first to really get this. Let's and you just talk about it with me and, and the reviews, but Taylor does this on mass. So she created a, a MySpace page back in two thousand and five. She was she went to Nashville when she was fourteen. She convinced her parents to take her to Nashville because Nashville was where country yep. music was, and there's, there's an interesting legacy around that's the case. So she took her parents from you know, I think in Philadelphia, I think okay. maybe, or Pennsylvania, somewhere somewhere that well, in Pennsylvania, but they yep. were they were somewhere there. They she the whole family uprooted and went. Are, are they moved to Nashville? Yeah, because right. this is the home, of, the country home of, of country music Hall of Fame, music, which is weird. It was the, the story behind Nashville is actually pretty interesting. But yeah. um, she, her, her first album, her very first album, because there was a whole long story about how she got signed to Big Machine, all this kind of stuff. But uh, you know what her first album hit on the charts? First album, number no. one. What? She made number one when she was like 15.
0: On the on the country music no, charts. Number
1: one on every chart. What? It was in the charts for like 200 weeks. Her first, she was like 14 or 15 at a time. She And the way she was, she would communicate directly. She built and, and curated her own fan base from back then. She was 14, 13, mm-hmm. 14, 15. Mm-hmm. She was building up and she loved talking to her. She still loves talking to her. You can sort of see it. And this is why yep. Taylor fans love her. I was speaking to Sally, who works for us here, who's one of our senior people in marketing. And I said, oh, How was the concert? She goes, Best day of my life. Like yeah,
0: uh, that is a common response. And everybody
1: says this. It's yep. my, Georgie, my friend who yep. runs a store in the South Mall market, took her daughter and she had a footage of two hours of her daughter crying for two hours straight. Yeah, uh, this is I've never seen this kind of reaction for anyone. Like this is sort of the beat. You have to go back to the Beatles to try to understand this. Yep. Uh, so she was the youngest person to win a Grammy with that first album. I think she actually got win a second album. I think Fearless, which also hit number one, was a second album, run a Grammy. Youngest person ever win a Grammy. 2009 she toured. Uh, the US. So this is she would have been twenty, nineteen or twenty. She was born yeah. eighty nine. How much do you reckon that tour grossed?
0: Oh, I couldn't even begin to guess. She was, she was nineteen. Well.
1: It grossed, grossed sixty three million. Okay. It's pretty incredible for I nineteen. Have said, I should have
0: said thirty, so that should your have. number sounded more show, impressive.
1: Yeah. Well, you know the
0: problem is I'm anchored to the present. Yeah, which is a, which is a billion like, dollars. Well, it's actually
1: more. It was a billion US in the states. So her actual her Gosh. total tour would be more like two billion. Yeah, uh, so this is the problem. The problem is anchoring, right? hundred percent. You anchored yeah. the wrong way. But sixty three yeah. for a nineteen year old. Think about it, nine how many nineteen year olds you know like sixty-three million in gross domestic product. And yeah. So that's pretty incredible. If you if she would have if you would
0: have said there's this person and you've no one's ever heard yeah. of her, but she had this thing when she was nineteen, how much do you think she
1: grossed? I'd have said, I don't know, twenty? And you would have said sixty-three. And she became nothing. Even but, twenty. But, yeah, uh, twenty million bucks. So, yeah, this, I know. so this is one person 63 million. And there's this great story the acquired guys that I didn't know about. So remember when Apple bought... So she had this huge... Remember this, she had that fight with Spotify? And she she was kind of the lone voice saying Spotify is ripping off artists, the free tier. And artists basically got paid nothing for, originally. For, they've renegotiated this since, yep. really, because of Taylor. Uh, but she, you know, she had that fight with Spotify, but she liked Apple because Apple was subscription. And yeah, they paid more. I see. So remember when Apple bought Beats? Do you remember that?
0: Yep, of course. And then, Oh, sorry,
1: Beats was subscription. Apple bought Beats. And remember the first three months... Apple said, We're buying Beats and music's gonna be free, like
0: yeah. Spotify. And I had Beats headphones.
1: Yeah, everybody goes, yeah, you do. And everybody goes, how good, is, how good is Apple and Beats? And then Taylor goes, well, Hold on, how much are we getting paid? And yeah. they said, Oh, you're getting paid the same as Spotify. And she's gone, uh, uh, Sorry, guys. And she tweeted at them and she basically had this big tweet and said, Apple, we don't ask you to give out your iPhones for free. Anyway, so Apple's most powerful business, in the, one of the most powerful businesses yeah. in the world, 3 billion market cap. You know what they did? Next day, what? Reversed it and started paying. Yeah. So she I mean, she's, <laughs>
0: she's she's amazingly powerful. I think it's very impressive that she uses her power to go into bet for people in her industry that are
1: powerless. Yeah. That is an unusual thing for celebrities to do. She risks that's she risks getting bad it's, really bad coverage for that because she cops the she's so greedy or like she's success can be successful either way. Cause you know, I use title, not well, I have Spotify as well, but I pay for Tidal.
0: And the reason I went on to Tidal is because when Jay – launched his 444 album. Yeah. He only launched it on title. He owned Tidal. That's right. But it's a vested interest, yeah. right? But she's got no vested interest yeah. in fighting against Spotify or whoever else. She, I think she's doing it pretty genuinely because she thinks yep. people in her industry are being screwed if they're not powerful. Yeah. It's very impressive. Do you know much
1: about the Taylor story, the whole Scooter Braun selling the rights yes, all that stuff? Yes, I know about that. But this is a super fascinating story. So she – She's a writer, she gets there's the way song song the way the rights are broken up. There's sort of the, the writer's rights, and then there's the kind of the master rights, which the usually the publisher rights. Yeah, and she was signed to Big Machine, they signed her when she was 14, 13, or 14. And then usually after like six years or whatever, the, the, the rights finish. Yeah, and then she, she worked out this is this happened like what six or seven years ago, or whatever it was. So anyway, she was with Big Machine, and that finished up. And she did had a beauty parade with everybody else, and she went, went with. Universal or someone else, which is yep. sort of tangentially related. But Big Machine owned her back catalogue. Yeah. And then you remember there's all this thing about Taylor re-recording music. Of course. Music. And did you know why she re-recorded the music?
0: Oh, I know why, yeah. Why don't you say why? Uh, because it enabled her to get the rights to her new recordings and every time she sells these new recordings, she gets to keep the money from it and it doesn't go to the previous rights holder.
1: That's correct. But everybody can do that. Like anybody, anybody, everybody like, and the reason she got this idea is because Kelly Clarkson tweeted at her because Kelly Clarkson's then mother-in-law, Reba McIntyre had done that. But everybody can re-record their songs. Yeah. But there's problems with that. Like they say, A, you've got, it's a massive hassle and it's a big cost. So you need to sell a lot of songs. But also it becomes confusing because you've got multiple versions of the songs out there. So Taylor yeah. calls it Taylor's version now. Yeah. But a lot of people, you've got your song already on streaming. You may re-record it, but nobody might not even know you've re-recorded it and they might not re- you buy the re-recorded version because they've already got a record. They might think it's not But my, The
0: flip side argument I'd make to that, because you're going to tell me the better answer to this in a second, but yeah. the flip side argument I'd make to that is what you just said about her fan base is relevant to this. Like if she yep. goes and says, I'm getting screwed by this previous deal, so I'm doing Taylor's version. Yep. This is the one that you should kind of buy or stream or whatever. I think her whole fan base will do it. Like that's That's true. That's feel. not why she did it. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I, I don't think that's why she did it. Yeah. Have heard about the Scooter Braun feud that she had? So Scooter Braun was the guy who discovered Bieber. Yeah. So do you know who Scooter Braun also manages? Who? A guy called... Kanye West. Right. And you know what happened at 2009 VMAs? Oh,
0: when Kanye went up on the stage and
1: – Went up and said uh, Taylor Swift had won an award. It wasn't actually the main award for the night. It was like a secondary award. And she won it for um, not Love Stories, the other one on that that album um, where she placed – you belong with me. Uh, did you go to Tay-Tay, Mike? Mike is it? Yeah, Mike knows a lot about Tay-Tay. Uh, anyway, you belong with me. She won, she won the Grammy for that. Don't Tay-Tay shame Mike. <laughs> We're well, not shame. It's, it's she's got a opposite. she's got a
0: wide fan base. She does. Ninety nine percent.
1: I got tickets to Sydney. I didn't get tickets to Melbourne. So it wasn't worth going up. But I went yep. on for sure. Do um, you got tickets to Sydney? You didn't go. Yeah, because it would have been too hard to. I, we gave it to people. I think work. you
0: should have opened the episode with. I'm the guy that managed to get tickets to Taylor Swift in Sydney, but I thought, ah, the one-hour flight, not worth my time.
1: Oh, I only got it late, and there was people who would appreciate it more than me. Oh, so you gave it possible. away? Yeah, I gave it to people who worked for us in Sydney. What do you mean, who went for girls, you? What does went for you mean? It means they went. Us. You didn't go. No, a couple of girls who work with us in Sydney. Oh, you gave them the went, tickets? Yeah. I Did you
0: realise, like... Do you realise that that is like a Mother Teresa level um, charitable gesture? Why do not buy the tickets? So not really. Like it's no, of course it is. People people will die for these tickets, <laughs> and you've just gone and found two people who are. I'm going to give you a compliment and say lucky enough to work for you. And you've <laughs> well, said, I as agree if, with that. As yeah. if that's not enough. As if working for you is not pleasure enough. <laughs> you've gone and give them given them. The hardest to acquire tickets on planet Earth for free—that
1: <laughs> um, is a kind gesture. You know, let's go back to the Scooter Braun story. So, yeah. Scooter, managing Bieber, he also manages Kanye West, Kanye and Taylor. Kanye does that atrocious thing at the VMAs in 2009. Yeah. Says Beyonce had the greatest music video ever. Turns out Kanye West may not be the greatest guy. He's not the greatest. Subsequently, guy. we yeah. may have He's got a few a issues view that, that bike. has is, is got yeah. some real issues. But um, so they had this long running fraud. Then they had that fraud. that had that. He he filmed. He had recorded the song about it, and then. That's like, right. And then about that an incident and she's he said she approved it. She said she didn't. Turned out they had been. Anyway, yeah. long
0: story. But I still like Kanye West's music. I can't I can't kick the habit. Gold digger was quite good. I like well okay, fine. But like, the rest I, like, of it, like I I like most of him. his I like most of his music. So you, I can't I can't kick the habit. You won't play
1: guitar, but you happy to listen to Kanye West. You've got an interesting set of um, Well we can have, have a longer conversation we, we, yeah. <laughs> we can have a
0: longer conversation. Firstly, I didn't say I listen to him, but actually I do listen to him. Yeah. Well we should have a longer conversation about that at another point in time. We can debate that. Yeah. So anyway, back to so back to Taylor. You'll be happy to so, know he gets almost no money from. Spotify when I or yeah. from Tyler when I stream, so it makes no difference. Yeah. But can
1: so, you. so she signs up with Universal so, and Big Machine. So Big Machine was her previous label. So they have a few other artists as well, mm-hmm. but most of Big Machine's back catalog was Taylor. So mm-hmm. and Big Machine then says, "Okay, we're going to sell because we've we basically lost Taylor now. I'm going to sell the back catalog." But this is back in 2017. Oh, Everything's being monetized. I see, and, I see. I see. So Big Machine goes up for auction, and Taylor claims, well, "No, you never offered it to me. I would have, I would have bought these rights. It's like 300 million bucks. She probably could have afforded. She could have got finance to afford it." They sell to Scooter Braun, who's Kanye's manager. So Taylor's got hold on. You've sold to my nemesis, or the guy I don't like, who, who yeah. Kanye's guy. I never got chance to buy my own records. Yeah. Stuff you guys. I'm going to re-record this. Uh, that's, so that's why, why she, she, she did it. So wasn't I that purely? See. Yeah, obviously she get, makes more money this way. But I don't think. It, I think it was. She's just vintage Taylor style. So she's going to screw me. I'm going to screw you. As it turns out, Scooter Braun then managed to sell it for a profit. Uh, so they sold, he sold it to uh, Shamrock Private Equity, which is related to the Disney family. Yeah. So those guys are probably getting screwed to some extent. But So Scooter Porn actually got away with it in the end. But it's a really interesting that was well, the background. Because it's Taylor Swift,
0: people say, people put a nice spin on that story. Like, you just put a nice spin on it. Like, yeah. she was the aggrieved party. Yep. She didn't get a chance to buy back her rights. But if it was anyone other than Taylor Swift, I just want to say the spin of the, that story would be, this is just business. Yep. And the reason she re-recorded it was vindictiveness against the guy. That is actually the real motivation. Nobody says that because it's Taylor Swift, but it was pure vindictiveness against a manager that she didn't like. That's why well, she re-recorded it. Was,
1: it was more against Kanye, really, and everything was justified there.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying it's justified or not yeah. justified, but what yeah. I'm saying is the motivation for that was vengeance, vindictiveness, whatever you want to call it. That was not a did
1: not come from a good place. That motivation. Oh, no, I I I'm not. I think if someone wrongs you, I'm not not one for completely – maybe you're more um, pious than I am, but I'm not one for turning the other chair. I think if you've been wronged, then you want to make it right, make it right. I think she made it right.
0: I mostly – so let me say two things about that. One is I do think what she's done is a bit like she had this, I don't know, ancestral home that she had sold and then the guy was going to sell it and he didn't offer it back to her, sold it to somebody else. She was very angry. That's my ancestral home. So she went down and burnt down the home. I mean, (laughs) I don't think that's the way to go. But secondly, my broader view about um, vindictiveness is there's this, um, I don't know if I'm quite Confucius because he's a very misunderstood philosopher. Mostly (laughs) he's focused on um, what's called filial piety, which means being subservient to your parents, which I don't like that. Particular philosophy, but I will quote this quote. I like it. For, my son's in the room again. He just <laughs> he just laughed because I said I don't like filial Piley. Let, <laughs> let me clarify. Nice? Yeah. I don't like filial Piley where it doesn't apply to me directly. <laughs> um, and so. But what, what – what, um, I was about to say what Kanye West did say. What Confucius did say is he said, before you go on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. That's a great <laughs> quote, right? A good and quote. that basically means you're going to destroy yourself in the act of vengeance. And so that's generally what I subscribe to I think, to I think you
1: can have what's called a measured vengeance. So I'm not saying you go out and kill people because they've wronged you. That's clearly not not going to happen. But then there's also a deterrence effect in and – th- and this is why um, I look at newspapers uh, – Fairfax used to famously never settle defamation cases. That would always yeah. fight you because, and that would be a deterrent to people so "Don't if you're going to assume it, you're not yeah. going to get a cheap settlement with us. You're going to have to fight it." So make sure you're really confident of winning. So I think that kind of attitude actually is probably not a bad attitude. That we're not going to—it's almost a case of, "Well, it's we, not
0: vengeance. That's just a commercial imperative." You can argue it's
1: vengeance. Like you've got to say, "If, if, if there's, we had a period where it's very hard to enforce restricted covenants on employees, so if you ever take an employee to court, and we virtually never do." Um, it's it's almost as not a zero sum gain you almost always lose because the courts almost always side with employees unless it's a very very senior yes. employee nobody gets anything except the lawyers
0: basically yeah,
1: Exactly. But there is probably the only time where I think it probably does make sense to potentially do it, is if someone yeah. goes to a direct competitor with taking your IP yeah. just to so that competitor doesn't do it again, you almost have to. Because otherwise, you're basically saying, well, go and take as many people as you want, take our IP as much as you want, we're going to stand by and be walked over because commercially it doesn't make sense. But well, commercially it doesn't make sense. But sometimes, and it's not often, usually. So it I don't call it vengeance, Adam. Like, that's not vengeance. Like,
0: what you're saying is that someone has done something to your business that, one, is damaging to your business, and two, if other people, think that that's okay, it will create further damage to your business. And so sometimes you need to stage a stage of public hanging. That's basically what you're saying. I'm totally supportive of yeah, that. I would call public but hanging some degree of vengeance. No, well, it, like I don't um, – the reason that I'm doing it is not to try and punish the individual because I'm aggrieved or worked up. It's purely commercial. It's because – that's causing some damage to me, so I have to stop that. But the reason I'm doing it publicly is people need to see that this is not acceptable to do, and I need to deter other people from doing it. It's not, that's not vindictiveness or vengeance. It's just a commercial imperative, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, can I ask give you one more Taylor stat? Just because yeah. uh, when she, she – she My answer was, is 63 million. <laughs> <laughs> she re-released a bunch of her songs, obviously as part of this whole Taylor's version stuff, following the big machine, breakup. Yeah. up. And so she had, a, she had a new album and then she re released a couple of albums. So, at one point, I think it was a couple of years ago, top 50 songs, how many do you reckon were Taylor Swift's? Oh, I hate that. Top 50, one person. One. Yeah. That's my answer, one. Because I, I can't be going, <laughs> if I say
0: one, I was going to say zero. Yeah. Just so whatever number you said, okay, I'll give you an honest <laughs> answer. No, because I want to give you a low answer. So, you got the give glory of. You got the, the glory of. answer. Uh, a answer not out of me. the top 50. Yeah. Okay. I think that this is low but this is what I would say if I didn't yeah. if I wasn't anchored. Yeah. I would
1: say 3 would be incredible. Yeah. That's, that's a fair it's a fair yeah. guess. 22. Uh, that's, so that's <laughs> ridiculous. 22. She, one person had always one in every two of the top 50. How, that's the, the power she has as a performer. And the thing I love about Taylor more than I love her, I like her music but more I her, she does the work. She'd communicated with her fans something like twenty-seven thousand times. Isn't directly. I like, could reply yep. to fans on social twenty-seven thousand times. This yep. is like five. She must be up to like fifty thousand. She does three and a half hour sets, barely taking a break. Like she changes I know the number
0: clothes. of songs that she performs in a concert. It's like fifty is, songs. Is Mike? Four, I think she did forty-five in Melbourne. Forty-five. Forty-five it, it, songs. It was. It's. When I read that, I thought it was a typo.
1: <laughs> like it's hard to. Be, it's hard to believe. Yeah. It's so she. So she, yes, she's in, she's very talented. She writes her own songs. She's a good performer, but she. Puts in the. And it's you're such right. An important you're lesson. right. If you
0: put in the, you're 100 right about that. She does. She puts in the work more
1: than any. And like you see, again, the great founders, and it's clearly she could coast. Absolutely, she could coast. She could coasted ten years ago. Yeah. But she puts in. No one does three and a half hour sets. She's and she's a solo. If she, she's she's got no one, no three other three other Coldplay guys to back her up. She's yep. just like yep. she's she's it. Yeah. Day after day, three, she's running a marathon every night. She's had yeah. three Melbourne concerts, 96,000 people, three and a half hours. That's that's a marathon every night, almost every night for a year. Yeah. And yeah, she gets paid well and all that kind of stuff, but she doesn't need the money. She's, she's rich enough. Yeah. She's She puts in the work, and it's such a great lesson. There's so many founders who listen to this show. There's so many people who want to found businesses. You've got you to be lucky. We know that. You've got to be really lucky. You've got to be skillful. She's very skillful. But if you don't put in the work, it all counts for nothing. And she puts in the work more than anyone I've ever seen. Well, you know this new law where you can't
0: um – where an employee – what's it called? The right to disconnect. Right is that to disconnect, what? yeah. Right to disconnect, which effectively means if your boss sends you a message outside yeah, hours – you can take them to a tribunal to force them to stop. Yeah. Now, I don't want to get into a whole debate about what I think about the concept behind that, but you just think about practicality. Yeah. practically how's that law going to work. Yeah. The way it's going to work is that um, the people that get promoted and yep. the people that 100%. go far – are going to be the people that ignore that particular law yeah, because they just want to put in the work. It. Yeah, and so I don't think it's going to change anything. No, that change nothing. It's, I mean, it's can you way. imagine the person that says um you can't contact me after hours based on this right to disconnect law? They were going to be the person that was going to be relatively unresponsive to their boss you anyway. Ask in the first place. That's right. Yeah. And
1: so I don't real I think that it's It's a stupid law, but I actually think it's not going to change anything. I was going to say it's a right to not get a bonus and a right not to get promoted. That's what it's a right. And there's people in our business. There's, there's a cohort, of, and I'm a seven-day-a-week guy. People get emails. You don't have to, put, you have to be a founder to put in the work. No, 100%. I'm like, you do. the people do. that go far in life Absolutely. when they work for other
0: people, Absolutely. they are also the people that put in the 100%. work. You cannot say, I just want to keep my weekends for myself yeah. and expect to go very far professionally in life. It's just it's, not possible. There's
1: people I know, because I wake up at 5 and I'll be banging out emails at 5. Yeah. I don't expect people to reply at 5.01 at all. But yeah. some people do. Yeah. Uh, and there are people I know who will reply almost every time. And people I know, well, if they're not going to apply, they not say something not in the first place. But we, we actually had a, a sales conference last week on the Gold Coast, and one of the guys, Tommy, a, submitted a deal at 3:34 a.m. Yeah. yeah. Which gets, gets a fair bit of credence in our business. And then we had, fantastic. Um, and then somebody last night submitted something on a Sunday. Yeah. So it's we don't ask that. There's, there's not, you don't have to ask for a right Just We don't expect people to submit stuff at 3:34 a.m., but the fact that someone does it is. You don't forget that kind of stuff. Uh, When come bonus time, come – if somebody misses a bonus by 100 bucks or misses the target by 100 bucks and you've submitted a 334 AM deal, what's going to happen come bonus time? Are going to discretionarily override that? You know, I'll tell you the most extreme example of this that I've had in my life. Um, When I first got
0: involved in Catapult, I had a particular arrangement that, like, got me a chunk of equity and it was based on milestones and it was, like, three years down the track or something. I got some and then it was some more. It got to the end of three years – and, like, the milestones were completely um, disconnected from reality because yeah. who knew, like, three years earlier what we would have tried to Elon achieve? And the two founders, Sean and Igor, basically said to me, we're now running this business essentially as a team of three. You don't care about it less than we do. Yeah. You don't put any less hard work into it or give it less love. Yeah. And so we don't care what the arrangement was – all of what you could have been entitled to, we are pushing in your direction. And yeah. it came directly from their equity, not from third parties. Yeah. And that was, to me, like the most extreme example of... Yeah. Like, if you love... it is, You don't have to be a founder to love the business as much as the founder. Yeah. And I would say, if you work in a large corporation... My advice would be: don't love the company more than your boss does. That's yeah. probably a recipe for disaster. But in a startup, in a founder-led startup, if you love that business the way the founder does, they yeah. will work it out, yeah. and you will go far in that business. 100%. Let me tell you the last Taylor Swift story. I can tell you a personal story. No not, Taylor, not not directly with Taylor, was, but she one. She's catapult earrings.
1: She
0: <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting. If
1: she you did. should usually should I do think, that for, for her performance.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? If she wore it visibly, uh, we would do it. Um yeah. And so. <laughs> I was on a plane in the US a few years ago, I think before COVID. And I was sitting next to this guy, and as I always do, I you know, I love people, I just started chatting with him. It's in first class or business class? In uh well, you know, it's a US domestic, so there's only oh, two domestic. classes, right? Yeah. So um or private. And so no private. I you know, I don't like I don't do private. I've never done private. <laughs> and anyway. So I was chatting with this guy and it turns out that he was the husband of the woman whose name I've just forgotten, who sings the fight song, which was very big for Rachel, a while. Someone? Yes. Rachel, someone, Platt. Ra- Rachel Platten. Rachel, Plattin. Plattin. oh my god, you've nailed it, <laughs> Rachel Platten. That's absolutely that right. Rachel. Okay, so I was chatting with him. That song was kind of blowing up at that time. If you remember, it was twenty eighteen ish. Yeah, probably. and yeah. it was. It was the song that was performed, maybe before. I don't think it was, it wasn't a Super Bowl, but it was performed somewhere where, well, some big American sporting event and she was on tour opening for Taylor Swift. Oh, wow. And so I was talking to him and he was telling me some- So this is her husband, right? This is her husband. And he was telling me some stories about Taylor Swift. Yeah. And this is the story that stuck with me and it fits in perfectly with your do the work line about Taylor Swift. So at the end of the, maybe on Thanksgiving or at the end of the tour, whatever it was, like she had- there was a gift that was given, a basket of gifts that yeah. was given by Taylor Swift to everybody that was involved in her entourage, everybody. Yeah. And for every single person, not only did she choose the gifts that were going to go yeah. in there herself, but she wrote a personalised, handwritten card huh. to every single member of her yeah. entourage. And he said to me that in his, his experience of you know being yeah. know, one degree removed from her, like that was Taylor Swift, yeah. that she just... Constantly goes these extra st- does these extra steps, and you know goes to to really connect with the people around yeah. her. He said she's just an incredible operator.
1: What's interesting about Taylor Swift is, is she's if you look at the other very successful musicians financially. So yeah. number one is Rihanna, who and that's because of Fenty Beauty with the yeah. LV Club. Yeah. She's at one point five bill. We talked about this many a couple of months yeah, ago. This is what celebrities
0: should be doing, by yeah. the way. And then
1: you've got uh, obviously. Kanye with Yeezy, yep. he made a billion dollars from that, and you've got Jay-Z. He made,
0: made a billion dollars and lost Adidas a billion dollars. Yep.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Jay-Z with Tidal and a bunch of other stuff, yep. Beats and all that kind of stuff. Dr. Dre with Beats. So most of the rich musicians have done it through non-music yep. stuff. Taylor hasn't done any of that. She's made a billionaire purely through music. Yep. And really this era this era's tour is what sort of pushed her over. But she hasn't done anything. Like I don't Actually, strange she hasn't. But she yeah. could, There's a million things she could do, but she's sort of stuck to music and just been – so brilliant at that one thing. I want to. I do want to say
0: one positive thing about Taylor Swift's music. One positive, yeah. About about one song in particular. You know that you would obviously know the song "Shake It Off," yes. which is like the kind of the haters gonna hate song. Yeah. I think to me that is a great anthem for founders yeah. when you are building a business. There are so many naysayers, and there are Everyone's so many, a and and people are jealous that you're yeah. having a go, and people say nasty things about you, yeah. and you, and there are lots of people that are willing you to fail, maybe especially in Australia. 100%. And I think that you know when you're feeling down as a founder, you just have to listen to, the, shake it off, <laughs> and it's like the right kind of message. I mean, you wouldn't listen to it because you don't listen to the words, but like the <laughs> people that listen to the words, they should yeah. listen to that song and take it on board and l- let them help help them get through
1: like the negativity. Yeah, you say so right. I think. We- whenever you're a fan especially in the early days people will go if it's a good idea they go well somebody else would have done it already like, but yes. that's not how it works like yes. if that was the case there'd be no founders ever so I just, every, everybody criticises founders you're right the jealousy thing but there's also the I oh, know better than you what what could you possibly know that's right until you become successful and then everybody quickly backtracks and, and wants to be a mate again but there's definitely but that there's so, so much period.
0: jealousy because you know if you're working with someone and you're both in relatively junior roles in a company and you know you've got friends and they know you as this person who's like not super successful you're in this relatively junior role that's how they want to pigeonhole you Yeah. that's how they want to feel good about themselves thinking of you like that and so the idea that all of a sudden you're going to become successful like it's it's very confronting and the truth is that almost everyone who is successful at one point was a junior at something right absolutely so i think um yes i highly recommend you listen to the
1: words of shake it off next time you listen to the song i will on that we're going to go to a super quick break for our friends at blue rock and back with a really great story on e-commerce results And today we're speaking with Daniel Zafino, Director of Private Wealth at Blue Rock. Daniel, I'm always surprised by how many successful business people just have no idea on how to manage their wealth. How often do you see super smart business people just ignore their own finances? Yeah, it's definitely pretty common for really successful people to not have their finances in order. You know, they're usually pretty busy with their business life, their personal life, their family life, and it's very common for their finances to take a backseat to all of that. And for Contrarians listeners, many of whom are really successful executives and founders, what's the first step they should take in making sure they're set up for long-term financial success? I'd say it in two words, dedicate and automate. Dedicate some time thinking about what is really important to you and your family in terms of your financial goals moving forward, then automating your finances to point directly towards those goals. So direct debits, automatic investment strategies, super contributions, all of those sorts of things. The less manual work you have to do to keep you on track, the more chance you're going to have of achieving all of those goals. And just speak with Daniel and the amazing team at Blue Rock Go to bluerock.com.au forward slash the contrarians podcast. And we're back with our next story on e commerce. We said Temple and Webster and Catch announced results. And I think you want to talk about eBay. Yeah, so let
0: me tell you about um, an eBay experience I had this week, which led me down a bit of a rabbit hole and into some of the stuff that we're going to talk yeah. about. So I haven't used eBay for a very long time, I used to use it extensively. 20 years ago when it was predominantly a site for buying and selling second-hand stuff. An auction
1: site. An auction
0: site. And in fact, the last time I used it was, remember they had those little mini things that you got in Coles or Woolworths, the mini items? So it turned out my daughter was really into collecting them and my son, like had this chat with me about this idea that some of them were really rare. Yeah. And so we should go and sell them on eBay. Huh. And so we set up this little thing and posted them out and sold how them much, on how eBay. How much money did you make on – It was actually ridiculous. Like some of them were being bought for like 11 or $12, <laughs> these things that you got for free. Good. And so yeah. anyway, it was a nice experience for my kids, you know, kind yeah. of a commerce experience. But I haven't really used it in a serious way. And so I bought a book off it recently, which I'll talk about, and that experience was fine. Yeah. And then what I decided to do – decided to do last week is to sell – a pair of runners. In fact, I did this a month ago to sell a pair of runners that I'd bought that were the wrong size. And I've never to, used. To I sell. I'd never used. And yeah. no, I still had the box. Okay. And so I'd forgot, I missed the window to return them. How, uh, how are they the wrong size? You know, I bought like, I don't know, a 10 and I, I bought a 10 and a half cause that's what I usually am. Yeah. And I bought them online and they came and I'm like, these feel a bit big. I'm going to buy a 10 and see what they're like. Yeah. And the 10 were right. And I forgot to return the 10 and a half. Oh, okay. okay. And so I'm going to sell them on eBay and I put them up there. It's an okay experience to list an item. Yep. Now you know what they're doing. They're basically saying just click on the item that you want to list and take a photo and let AI oh. write the description, yeah. which is kind of interesting, but I, I'm not sure how that's not going to end up to be with you know listings all kind of sounding the same. Yep. But anyway, I didn't do that. I put them up there. I put them up for $200 or whatever yep. it was. A, bi- a bit kind of not much difference, but they were brand new. Yep. Someone bought them. I got charged a fee by eBay. Yep. The person never closed the sale. I couldn't convince eBay to reverse the fee. So I paid the $5 fee, even though they were never sold because the person never paid me. So did you get paid by eBay or not? So I never got paid by the buyer. Okay. But eBay still charged me the fee. Oh. And I couldn't really find the right way to get the $5 back. So I thought, forget it. I'm just going to relist them. Yeah. So I relist them. Someone buys them again last week. Okay. Before I go overseas, I put them in the original box. I tape up the box. And they paid you for them? They paid me. I send them away. I yep. pay eBay the fee. The fee was like tw- it was like $25 or okay. something, the fee. Then I get this notification when I get back saying that I have failed the authenticity guarantee <laughs> because of the condition of the box. Now, I didn't specify the condition of the box in the listing. Yeah. Maybe because I taped the box, yeah. the buyer was going to resell it and decided ah. that the condition wasn't good. I never got notification to dispute it yeah i never like all i got told is we're cancelling this transaction because you failed the authenticity guarantee and they're going to be sent back to you yeah i still haven't gotten them back yeah and so what i decided is that this experience is rubbish yeah and i never want to be a part of it ever again
1: why would you sell on ebay if if there's so
0: much risk for the vendor i never want to be a part of this experience again in my entire life yeah if I'm going to sell again maybe I'll use Facebook Marketplace yeah, which exactly. is Yeah, Facebook is right. That's the only thing that anyone under the age of 25 talks about. No one is using eBay in a great experience. Yeah, and so this is who eBay's fighting. And now eBay is predominantly a marketplace for new goods on a buy it yeah, now 100%. anyway. Yeah, so that's an Amazon competitor. Yeah, yeah. And so what I thought I'd do is I'd look at eBay. And see how they were going as a business, because to me this feels like a dead business. Remember, I have this analogy where I say it's like a star that ex- has exploded far away, but the light hasn't yeah. reached your eyes yet. Yeah. I yep. thought yep. that's eBay. That's 100%. that's what's ta- now. When I looked at eBay's results, what I found is a company that makes a ton of money on very high margins. So I don't know. Do you know eBay's metrics? I'm just looking now. They capped at 22 billion US. So they're going is- to make 10
1: billion of revenue this year. They're training at about the same level as pre-COVID.
0: Yep. So they're going to make ten billion. They're going to make ten billion of revenue, which I thought was a big number. Ten billion dollars. Yeah. They take about it's about fifteen percent of their gross revenue. So yep. I think they're taking about fifteen percent. Yeah. Which is at the lower end of marketplace revenue, yep. in my experience. The amazing thing about them is that even after spending low 20% on marketing, mm. which I thought was very high. And I think that marketing is predominantly the vouchers that you get, yeah. which give you a discount when you buy there. I think yeah. they're covering the cost of that. Yeah. Even after that, they're pocketing 26% in profit before tax. Yeah. So that is a very high margin.
1: At scale business.
0: Though. At scale. Yeah. But still 20. All right. Yes, you're right. 26%. And so to me, like that is a Very profitable, high free cash generation business, two and a half billion dollars. The thing about it, though, is they're going nowhere as a business. Like they're they're virtually not growing. The business, the part of their business that is growing, you'll be happy to know, is well, you will be unhappy, but you'll be happy because this is what you talk about a lot, is the advertising business. Courses. So they've got $350 million of revenue now yeah. degrading the customer experience yeah, by running ads. And I think
1: UX for cash. Basically.
0: Well, I think the ads are basically um, promoted listings predominantly yeah, yeah, sure. and stuff I'm like that. Around. And so that's what's growing. Yeah. But this is a business that is going nowhere. And what I thought was interesting, and then you can tell me some thoughts that you've had about some of the results this week. Yeah. But if you look at this business, and we call this a marketplace business, so, what are the other big marketplaces? Well, Amazon is the really big marketplace business. But in Australia, you've got Kogan as a marketplace business now. You've got Catch. We'll talk about Temple and Webster. Turns out that's decided not to be a marketplace business anymore, yep. um, which is a good decision. Yep. But. And so what I discovered, because I was trying to think about it. First, I was a bit disappointed that eBay was still doing well because I had such a <laughs> negative experience. Yeah. But it turns out they're a business on the way out, in sure. my view. 100%. And in Australia, do you know this, that in Australia, the share of market, the marketplace that they have has basically halved in the last three years?
1: because they were clearly number one until yep. Amazon came. Amazon came in 2017. Yep. And eBay were dominant. They were like... Five times anybody else back then, and obviously they yep. just lost all that share at Amazon. Yeah,
0: I think they went from 33% market share to 17% yeah. market share in the last three years. That is, turn the lights off when you're the last I'm person to leave still business.
1: 17%. Like that's, that's still pretty, I, I think- Australia was eBay's best market until yep. then okay, because Amazon a, yeah. wasn't here. Yeah. So, and, and eBay, effectively were the Amazon marketplace. But I thought I think as a marketplace, they were fine.
0: Well, the reason um, they're 17% is because of what we discussed previously, which is the incumbency advantage. Yeah. Like, it takes a long time to yeah, break and habits. Yeah, they had great
1: – like, Tim McKinnon, who was running it, and then and she went to Profit Over more recently. He was a good operator, and he managed to get a bunch of big brands signed up. So yep. they had some really good people on. They were first – and But now they're just getting sort of swept away. Uh, so
0: so that- do you know the, the growth bit of eBay's business, apart from advertising, <laughs> is very interesting. I've got a lot of negative things to say about eBay. Uh, one of the negative things I've got to say is, do you know what they blame on their lack of revenue growth? Inflationary pressures. Tell me what's wrong <laughs> with that. What's
1: wrong with that? <laughs> well, your price is going up. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. how
0: your revenue goes up because of inflation. So that's their headwind, inflation. But what they are getting now is an increasing amount of revenue – Coming from the sales of secondhand products Mm -hmm. as the economy tightens, so it turns out that after this long journey, and let's not forget they spun off PayPal, so that was a huge win for eBay. They bought
1: PayPal was then worth at one stage like two hundred billion. Yeah, they bought them (laughs) and then they spun them off, and
0: but you know. Basically, this is a business that is now going to have to go back to its roots yep. of secondhand stuff in yep. tough economies. I think, in order to generate any growth you can at all, Facebook
1: does a phrase. Yeah, my sure. guess is
0: this is a business that's going to
1: be running in reverse pretty 100%. soon. Uh, I think you go back to two thousand, not even that long ago. Two thousand three, two thousand four, eBay was significantly bigger than Amazon, and now Amazon's like one point seven yep. trillion, and eBay's twenty two billion. So that's for like a, not even a fraction. Like they're a, not even one percent. And this is one of the
0: few businesses – so what's remarkable about what eBay has achieved, this is remarkable, is that they're a business that had real power and real network effects and competitive advantages and they managed to lose them. (laughs) Like that is not easy to lose genuine network effects because, you know, in order for eBay for these marketplaces to work, you have to have a very large pool of buyers and a very large pool of sellers. It's hard to build those networks. They've managed to lose the network because other people have gone, and you know what Amazon effectively did is built it as a first-party network by having a lot of customers.
1: In their defence, they lost it to a guy called Jeff Bezos, who's probably one of the greatest business people of our generation yeah, for sure. I agree. So, if you're going to lose to anyone, you kind of lost to a pretty good operator.
0: But it's not—it's not easy to lose network effects. No, like that our. is a pretty amazing achievement. You do achievement. The
1: telephone, the phone book. There's plenty of examples recently. I know, but they
0: haven't—they haven't been disrupted by technology. They've been disrupted by another marketplace, yep. and the reason Bezos was able to disrupt them is because he built an audience using th- first-party sales, yep. and then he allowed third parties to come in off the back of that. He never yep. tried to build a marketplace, or well, he might, I mean, who knows what was in his mind, but yep. he didn't build it as a marketplace. But once eBay has lost its marketplace, like its network effects advantage, mm. this good night, it's lights out. Yeah, like it's they've it's got good. no other competitive differentiators no, over just, the long term. That's
1: it. But yep. like i think they're on the way out yeah no i could let's let's talk about some other businesses that, that, that announced results this week so i got temple and webster who shares rocker they've actually doubled in the last six months temple they're now worth 1.4 billion it's billion un- unbelievable market loved the revenue going up 23 percent year on year which actually isn't that much when you think about it but it's it's okay ebitda so they actually make money so they they're, they're and there's no dodgy capitalizations going on here. So they actually no, make a pretty genuine EBITDA. I think the net profit's pretty similar. So they make about seven million bucks for the half, which is which is not bad. It's terrible. Well, it's terrible. We'll get to it in a second, but it's better than losing money. Oh, better
0: okay, than- that's great. Well, you know, having four
1: broken limbs is better well, than being get, dead. We're about to get a catch. So when you compare okay. a catch, it's it's pretty good. But uh, yeah, it's not as good as Kmart. Um, well, it's
0: not as good as what I'd call a business <laughs> because it's barely a business
1: in well, my view. One point four billion revenue. I think the real kicker, though, is whilst their, their revenue was up year on year, their marketing costs were up by 61%. So their yeah, revenue, their marketing costs are ridiculous. So their revenue increased by a lot less than. So the market just, there's something wrong with Australian, the market, Australian market. The Australian market are a bunch of morons because they're, uh, they're putting Setai at 1.4 billion, which is basically, I think, at worth zero. They've got Temple at one point. <laughs> Temple, Temple compared well, to Well, Satire. Satire
0: is either worth $1.4
1: or, or, in your mind, it's zero. either worth $1.4 or zero, Maybe. but yeah. we don't know what it's worth. We know it's worth. But Temple is far better business than Satire. It's a, it's an okay business, but if you're only growing 23% and increasing marketing 61%, how the market can love that, it just shows how well, we lost the plot Australian is. We can be government. much blunter about this. They generated
0: 23% growth. So how many dollars of revenue additional growth was that? That's another 50 mil of growth. Yeah. On that 50 mil, they managed to generate essentially no dollars of profit. Yeah. So they've done all this work <laughs> to generate another 50 mil for naught, for nothing. Because they've done all marketing. But, or whatever. So what, what they've proven is I can go and spend a dollar to generate a dollar of like revenue. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. That's not a business. Yeah. And so my issue with this business is you have a business here that was doing $200 million for the half last year and generating 6 or $7 million of earnings, which is terrible. 3%. It's a terrible margin at, I'd call scale. That's scale. Yep. And then went and did another 50 mil on a business that should be at scale. That means that lots of, like its contribution profit should be flowing through to earnings because the fixed cost should be relatively stable. So you'd expect that, you know, I think their gross profit is 33% on this mm. business. So you'd expect the 50 mil, they keep 16 or 17 mil of it. Yeah. Maybe they spend a bit on marketing, but they should be generating, come on, at least five, 10% of it flowing yeah. through as contribution margin. By the way, margins that I'm not interested in being a part of. But, um, <laughs> we know and, that. 55% and, your minimum. Yeah, it? and so they, they've done nothing. That 50 mil at scale has delivered no incremental earnings or effectively no incremental earnings. You know, I had a big argument with um, an analyst about the valuation of Temple and Webster when it was half this price, <laughs> and I said, I think the real valuation should be about 20% of that price, and now it's doubled, <laughs> and so now I think the real valuation should be 10%, 10%. and you know, I did made this controversial comment to this analyst, which maybe was a bit dumb in retrospect, but it maybe not. I said to him, "I wouldn't take Temple and Webster as a business for zero if it was offered for free, if I had to fund <laughs> if I had to use my own bank account to fund yeah. it, because this is a business at three percent margins, yeah. that could end up at negative negative 10 percent margins yeah. in the blink of an eye, and I 'll just go bankrupt mm. trying to fund these losses." Okay. I, so I do not understand for the life of me. <laughs> And, and this is not to disparage management, who I, think's yeah, no, I think is doing as good a job a as job. Job can be done, Absolutely. okay? Tough, tough business, so. I don't know what the market sees in this business. I yeah. just do not understand what they see. And, you know, what's interesting about this business, and the positive I'd say about it is, they finally realised... They shouldn't try and be a marketplace business, so they've given up on that. Have they still had some marketplace? They do have, I think, 20% of their revenue is marketplace, but I think, therefore, what they did is, in their results, they said, this is what we're hoping for in 2025, to try and get the market excited about the future. Presumably, they didn't put in there, we're hoping to generate another $50 million of profitless (laughs) revenue. But, um, But... What they have is I think the marketplace revenue going from 20% to 10%. Like, so not growing. Yeah. And so I think they're right. Like, they shouldn't be a marketplace. Like, they – because you don't keep enough of the um, revenue as a marketplace. Yeah. And so they're going and continuing to have exclusives or their own products.
1: It's their regional business model. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I think there is a business that can make money hidden inside this business – I just don't think that that's what it's doing today. Can I tell you the pista resistance of their decisions?
1: At, they, they really followed the Wayfair model. Wayfair was a big marketplace in yes. the States, very similar model. And Wayfair share price is off sort of 85%. It was 30 billion, now six. So relative to Wayfair, Temple is actually flying. But that, and that probably explains why they've shifted away from marketplace because Wayfair has been such a disaster. Yeah, well, it, well, I think the market always got Temple and Webster's price wrong.
0: At one stage, it was trading at six cents. It was trading. And so it was crazy, it was below, crazy low. Below the cash. Yeah, and so I think the market never understands yeah. this business. But, um, but i say the worst of all decisions in my view in this business and the only thing that I would really criticise management for because, like, this is a hard business to make money on. Personally, I would be firing as many people as I could and <laughs> cutting costs wherever I could yeah. to make money on this business. But the worst decision is this. They've got a big cash pile in the bank. Mm. By the way, they've got lots of accounts payable as well so yeah. it's not it's not net cash yeah you know what they're doing with that cash right now? Buying back shares. Yeah, at, at $1.44 Whoa. billion. Dollars. Like, I cannot think of a worse, at the moment, yeah. cash. A $1, if there was such, still such a thing as a $1 coin, there might yeah. be. I don't know. I haven't, is, a, yeah, I haven't seen one for a long time. You're yeah, 100 on that kind of guy, I would have thought. Well, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a tap and go guy. Yeah. Uh, Apple pay. But yeah. a $1 coin is currently worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Cash is so valuable today. Yeah. Right? Notwithstanding inflation. Yeah. Like, there is no money to uh, going around for investment. Yeah. So cash is worth its weight in gold. They could go and buy a real business by Mm. acquisition. What's the worst thing that they could do? Buy their own stock at this incredibly inflated price. I just think it's the dumbest decision. The only
1: reason they're doing it is because. They can't pay dividend because their balance sheet is – Go oh, buy something. Yeah. Go
0: buy go buy a business trading on five times yeah, earnings
1: 100%. generating free yeah.
0: cash in your space. Yeah. You want to go and have more exclusives or more of your own products? Mm. Go and buy a business. You know Dave Genovic? Do you know Dave Genovic? Dave Genovic's business RJ Living. It used to be called RetroGen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice business. Yeah. They make their own stuff. Yeah. I'm sure he'd sell for a lot less than their cash balance. Yeah. Like presumably he's making money. Yeah. Go buy that business. Yeah.
1: Like That's what Kogan's been very good at doing is buying businesses super um, cheaply that add to that business and that creating. Well, they add,
0: the, they add the brand and the customer base. They generally yeah. will junk the product mix, right? Usually. But here I'm saying Temple and Webster should go and buy product mix. Yeah, okay. Go yeah. and buy
1: product mix. You can yeah. go and buy it I agree. F- Buyback is just – like. You should only buy back your shares when they're undervalued because ultimately you're trading cash for, for script. So, this is a classic Warren classic anti Warren Buffett move and they're, they're burning their cash at this. And, and Conrad and, and Mark, Mark's CEO, Conrad's been the original backup, good operators. So, it, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense that these smart guys would I be know. torching cash on make. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Can Let's we put p- these in our portfolio? The, the as short. A, oh, as please, a short, yeah, let's okay. Put in the Adam, idea or idea and Adam um, contrarians fund short. List. Oh well,
0: next next week we'll work out how much we're up and down. There's really only been two recommendations before this one, which was an Atlassian short and going Set- long on Maya well, and satire as well. But you want to go in the sh- All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I reckon it should be only be things we agree on. But I'm prepared to agree <laughs> to your satire short. I don't have cut. the view of satire that you do, yeah. but I think that it's shortable. That's yeah. for sure. Tell me the next business that we can hate on.
1: Well. Our good friends Gabby and Hessey, who I think it'd be in hindsight one of the greatest transactions of the decade. They talk that book was catch of the decade. Obviously, yeah. should have called it sale of the decade because yeah. they've done two of the best timed transactions ever. One was you say that,
0: but they cried to me all through COVID about having of sold out too right early. Now, though.
1: Yeah. Gabby should have more. I think Hessey, in terms of strategic understanding of markets, gets it probably as better than anyone yeah. that I've ever met. Uh, and. They sold Menulot, it wasn't just them, it was obviously Leon was yep. the driving force there and Dan, obviously, but they were part of that Menulot sale. Leon Kamenev, they, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Leon Kamenev. Uh, so Menulot got sold like six months before Uber Eats came in the market for $820 million, yep. probably was worth $100 now. Gabby and Hezzy got a couple hundred million bucks out of that. Well, Catch did. They sold Catch just before COVID as Amazon was coming well, in the say, market. First they bought it back from Tiger
0: Global and other investors. i yep. to
1: call it a sub-$100 million valuation. Yep. They sold forty percent for eighty million bucks back in two thousand and eleven, I think it was, or two thousand and twelve. For like for suitcases of cash. Yeah, because the money out. didn't go into the business. Exactly. Yeah, it came back, pretty much all but a tiny bit yeah. came out. Uh, so they then bought it back and did time the time the buyback absolutely beautifully. Brought Natty in to run it. Did, a, did Natty did a great job. They then sold to West Hamers all cash. So everybody was saying, "Oh, should have taken script and all this kind of stuff." Hezzy and Gabby were smart enough to take all cash, 233 million hard cash in their pocket. And they owned pretty much all of it. Uh, Maybe Nadi owned a little bit, but they owned pretty much all of it. Yeah,
0: Nadi did well and he got a chunk of cash out of 2012.
1: But they got 200 million bucks cash out of that. COVID happens and everybody's saying, oh, Gabby and Hezzy have lost it. They don't have the magic touch anymore. Because the business would have been worth $1 or $2 billion well, at, it was never at really its peak. never really worth it. Oh, I guess Kogan was briefly. Yeah, they, it yeah. would have been worth a Kogan valuation briefly. at its peak. Well, yeah. it was valued at that. It yeah. was never worth that. If you look at then, since then, so West Farm has paid two hundred thirty-three million. million. Since then, they've lost – my calculation, I think they've lost around $300 million. As in, they've lost – their operating costs of $300 yeah. million. Yeah. So they lost $200 million last year, lost another $41 million this half. This yeah. has been – I can't think of any worse acquisition than this. West farmers probably don't care because they're so big and Kmart makes a billion dollars a year anyway. But if you're talking about pure money burning stupidity and money burning, and ma- the opposite ingenious from Gabby and Hezzy to sell a business that, and Catch hadn't really made any money for 10 years. They made a bit of money in 2012. They hadn't really made money, I don't think, since then. They sold a bit for two, three million in cash. There's lost 300 million bucks. That is, you could have a crystal ball in Arms, and couldn't time a sale as well.
0: As yeah. Well. well, in fairness, I think. Um, if the two of them with Nutty were still running it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have lost losing. $41 million. But it wasn't making
1: money, though.
0: Yeah, so. look, we don't know what it would have done, but it wouldn't have done this. No. I think the craziest thing about this whole process, look, it's not crazy that West Farmers bought it because they were trying to beef up on e-commerce. Yep. And so that's fine. The crazy thing is what these corporations do when they buy these businesses. They go and they think the founders are much dumber than they are. (laughs) I mean, come on. So they let the founders sail off into the sunset – Then they treat the existing staff in ways that none of of them want to stay, so they
1: all want to leave, right?
0: They all want. I mean, Nutty lasted for a bit, and he was like, "I'm out of here," and heaps of good
1: employees leave. All the great buyers, they had the best buyers in the Uh, country. There, every single one left,
0: and then we went to MyDeal and Kogan, and then they bring in corporate people to run these things. And now, like the last thing they've done now that they've just announced is. It's only going to be a marketplace. Yeah. No more first party, no yeah. more discount, no more catch of the day. Yeah. It's just going to be a marketplace. Well, guess what? Some other people are running marketplaces <laughs> in Australia. One's eBay we just spoke about. Yeah. One's Amazon. Yeah. Like I don't And think, Kogan and Mario. And I mean, I don't think you want to be running marketplaces in this market. Like, it's a very hard pitch. So yeah. I think, to West Farmers' credit, they've done an amazing job with Kmart. Yeah.
1: Guy, the Guy Russo story there is one of the, um, the ages.
0: Kmart, unbelievable. The Anco brand in Kmart is absolutely killing yep. it. Yep. Um, they've got Target, obviously. I think Kmart and Target, they can never get them both right at well, the they're, same they're time. They folded
1: Target into Kmart and just gave
0: up. Yeah, they gave up with it. The bottom line is, though, in my view, they've destroyed the catch brand. 100%. Maybe the only good thing they got out of it is this one pass. Does it have any good? Yeah, I think it's good because I buy from Kmart and Target and I take the free delivery yeah, and it's maybe, definitely maybe, increased maybe my Kmart's
1: purchasing. has been driven by that
0: slightly. And they did something smart, which I want to boast and say, this is what I told Gabby Negezi to do. <laughs> I said, go and do a deal with a streaming service as the part Disney of One Pass. Yeah. I didn't say Disney specifically. They've gone and done a deal with yep. Disney because I thought to compete with Prime, you had to have your yep, own version. That makes sense. And so I think they've done the One Pass well, yep. but the rest of Catch is just a complete catastrophe and yeah. I don't think you want to be a marketplace in Australia competing with with Amazon, eBay and Kogan. To lose 41
1: million bucks, that, to lose more than what you pay for a business in like three or four years yeah. is truly exceptionally bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it just shows like why you, corporates tend to not be great acquirers of businesses and why founders know when to sell in most cases. And Gavin has, he just knew when to sell. Yeah, well, yeah, you should let,
0: if I mean, if a corporate is going to buy a founder-led business, what they do with it in the three years after they buy it, is the in my view, is the greatest predictor of long-term value of yeah. that business. And it, and I think West Farmers did everything wrong to yeah. catch after they bought it. Yeah. Which is the next one you're going to talk about?
1: I, I was just going to move on to a different a non-e-commerce We can business. talk
0: about my deal first. My deal, directionally for Woolworths, is going to be the same as catch, isn't it, for West Farmers? Like, isn't that going to go down the... I know they brought Paul Greenberg onto the advisory board, which is a that? good start, by the way. Yeah. But still, I just think... Is
1: that really going to turn out any differently from Woolworths? I think the MyDeal is even worse than Catch. The MyDeal was a, probably a, a lesser business than it was Catch. Was a wise. fifth
0: ranked marketplace and in they Australia. Paid
1: more, I think, than than, than, than um, West Farmers. I think that was probably uh, maybe West Farmers. Uh, maybe Wow have, have run it slightly better than Wes have run Catch, and maybe won't lose quite as much. So maybe be less bad because they weren't completely inept. But that was definitely a worse purchase. Uh, yeah, I think that they were.
0: They decided they needed a marketplace. They had bought into the Bike Exchange underlying technology marketplace. Are they? Like the, yeah, it's Woolworths, Jason's, yeah, Jason's businesses. Oh, Jason I don't know. business. Okay, there you go. And so, I mean, Bike Exchange not doing well on the ASX. I haven't actually. I haven't looked at that ship. I yeah, think. that's it's doing very poorly. Right. But um, but there's an underlying technology yeah, marketplace platform that I think marketplace which is their marketplace which Woolworths, yeah. for whatever reason, they decided that wasn't the solution to their they problems. They run Myer. I'm pretty sure they do Myer. They do business. Myer. Okay, and so. They go and say, what marketplace is left? Well, the only one that's left is my deal. (laughs) So they go and make this huge payment cash into a deserving founder who slogged it out, right, Sean? Yeah. But... It's an enormous cash payment for the
1: fifth-ranked marketplace. <laughs> I mean, how's that going to turn we out? We do love seeing founders make out like bandits of expensive idiot corporates. Oh, and our two guys are the classic example of that. But.
0: Oh, 300 mil for the corporate. I mean, who cares? Yeah. But for the founder, it's life-changing. 100%. So, yeah,
1: keep, keep the cash flowing. I'm all in favour
0: of that. <laughs> yeah. But just uh, if the one thing I would say to a corporate that is going to buy a business that is a founder-led business yep. is spend 90% of your time not planning the transaction mm-hmm. – but planning the first three years post-transaction yep. and doing a very slow and gradual integration with your main business. And the first three years should be, ask not what this startup can do yeah. for you, but what you can do for this 100%. startup, right? And so, yeah, I think that that is, um, that is how they should think
1: about these We were looking at, um, at buying something uh, in the last year. We haven't, because it actually performed too well. Yep. And it got priced out, but found a lead, and, and the way we're going to structure the business is is heavily called earnout based, but was it was more profit share based that 90% of the pr- transaction was going to be how they perform in the first three years. Like I wasn't interested in paying anything upfront or not much upfront enough no, to give them shocked to hear that en- enough to get, <laughs> enough to give them kind of peace of mind that they weren't going to get completely shafted. Yep. But there's no way I buy a business and pay 100% cash up front because for a founder business because you're going to be shafted 100% because the the, the the intrinsic value of the business is because the founders are so good. So. It's, it's amazing so, that these corporates don't continually don't understand that.
0: So, we had something that worked very well for us at Catapult, which I'll give credit to the CEO, Will Lopes, for. So, we bought a business called SBG. It was a business that was very big in Formula One and was starting to push into soccer. Yeah. And the result, and we did that with cash and an earnout. The founder was already independently wealthy from previous businesses that he'd yeah. sold. And the end result of that is that that founder is now the CTO of the entire Catapult oh, really? business. He has continued to grow the racing part of yep. that business much more than we had expected. Yeah. It's formed the basis for some good growth. We're getting Great. in the soccer part of the business. And he and his team are completely committed to the overall success of catapult. And it was done because we didn't think that we knew better Yeah. because we said this guy, he knows better than us about yeah. a whole heap of things. So let him teach us. And so the reason that I said, you know, that, that, you know, butchered JFK quote is because <laughs> to me, a, st- a company should look at a startup and say, as a corporate, we've got all of these magical things that we can bring to the startup. Yeah. Let's have the direction of flow in that direction because that is how we're going to get the most out of this 100%. business. The businesses that think that they can go and just suck up yeah. this startup and it will change the business, yeah. like a little like rubber Zodiac dinghy yeah. is not going to change the direction of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Yeah. And so I
1: think the question is, what can you do for the startup like as a well. corporate? I just want to talk before we uh, finish up. Seek announced their results last week as well. Their shares dropped 10%, $25 a share. They're basically back to pre-COVID kind of levels. Uh, Market cap's down to $9 billion. They're actually down 33%. What's their share price now? Their share price is $25 a share now. So down from about $34 peak in COVID, I think they were. They had an EBITDA miss. uh, So they missed – the job ads were down 20% in Australia, Uh, they, they're expecting a net profit of around 200 million bucks. So if you look, and there's a bit of normalisation because they got that VC portfolio yeah. that Andrew runs now, but they're basically trading on a 45 times P multiple still. Yeah. 45 and 18 times EBITDA. The, again, the Australian market is off its rocket here. They're valuing businesses on this little legacy brand stuff. So seek has probably struggled. Like compare car sales has been an incredible former Seek's really, and REA has been great. Seek's really been the lag out of the three. And, and this guy, remember we talked about, this yeah. is another one in the short portfolio that I said, when you've got no founders running the business, they'll struggle. So Paul and Andrew out. Ian well, Andrew's I running, out he's not out, running. He's running the venture thing. He's not running the Seek business. Even then, he was three days a week. Yeah. Like he wasn't probably running that. So you've got no, the gun founders leave. You've got a legacy business that's great, almost like a, Less bad version of eBay. So Greg's are being whittled away, Yeah. and you've got no real, nobody really driving that business. And there's some good guys, and Ronnie's a good guy. There's good guys in that business. Ian, about- Ian,
0: well, I think Ronnie's on the investment side of the business, and no, he's I- also gone. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Ian I- Ian, Narev Ian Narev is a high quality operator. Based he on, is based on what?
1: Well, I think that based on CBA's royal commission.
0: Well, come yeah. on, I think he ran CBA well, and. You know, you know what these big businesses are like? It's like politics. You run these things, you yep. do your best, it's hard to move them, and one day you wake up yep. and some catastrophes happened that was probably unpredictable
1: <laughs> was and beyond your control. I agree with okay? the hot potato issue. Um, but I don't, I've, I've seen no evidence that he's, a, he's not an Andrew or Paul that I've seen. All right, um, well, that's rarefied air. Yeah, but well, I mean, take out the, the gun. I oh, know. I agree with you so about the loss of founders. In my Adam Short portfolio, and it's probably down 20% since I've criticised when do you? I don't remember you criticising. I'm going to ask Mike to look at Look it up. Oh, I didn't realise you? that was in the short. Well, I don't. That can't be in our joint portfolio because I wouldn't
0: have agreed to shorting <laughs> that. But there you go. You were right to short. You know, I think that they're three businesses. Seek when I look at them. So they're an Australian yep. business, like this, and they dominate this market. And they have margins that are unachievable for any other business. I don't know if they're doing 50% margin of pre-cash, yep. pre- yeah, pre-tax yeah, margins, I'll but it's got to be pretty close, yep. right? And so they've got this Australian cash machine. That is it is the market. And so whatever the employment market and the economy is doing in Australia, that is what this seek yep. business is largely going to do. And yes, they are certainly susceptible to like startups trying to whittle away their market share. Yep. But they've held on really well to their market share in well, Australia. you have a
1: pretty strong network there, so it's that's hard right. to knock so that. So that's
0: one business. Then they've got some international employment yep. businesses. That's their China second and business. And yeah, and I think Brazil is another yep. one, and so that's their. Sec- and then their third business is an investment business. The VC
1: uh, it's, a separate, it's a separate vehicle, isn't it? Andrew runs. It's a right? separate
0: vehicle, and so they've had some huge wins in that business. I think Go One is in the in, in
1: the biggest win. I think ID oh, I they spun off, right? Yeah. yeah, they spun and Go that one off. Was big as well.
0: yeah. yeah, and so I think and so when the market values this business, you have to say what are they valuing? And I think what Andrew was great at doing and maybe Ian has continued this is yeah. to say it's wrong to just value us on our Australian earnings mm. it's wrong to just value us on our international earnings you've got to give us credit for the investments that we're going to make because that's going to be the next generation that's going to power the growth of this company and I think ultimately if the valuation is going to hold up that has got to, that needs to deliver at some point very soon yeah. because the Australian business can't justify this valuation obviously.
1: I think, I think if you look at uh, – we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, VC returns were great, the Canberra era, and there's some, some yeah. other Go1, all that kind of stuff. But the last five or six years, you don't see any Canbers, IDPs, Go1s coming through the ranks here. so And I'm not sure I want to be investing in a – You mean new things coming into the funnel Yeah, finals. they're going to be huge. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to know. But you knew Canberra was big years ago, and you could see it going, and the Blackbird guys knew. That. I think Go1's still got a lot to go. Go One's had a pretty big, I'm not sure. Maybe, it's got a maybe big noise. valuation, a, a big run, but I think yeah, people seem business. very enthusiastic about that business. Uh, all right, take out, and the, the reason why I'm bearish on this business, take out the two gun founders, and they've been out for a little while now, and I'm, all you've got is a, a dwindling network yeah. that is gradually going to lose, and it's, and it's trading on a huge valuation. So there's nothing I like about it now without – unless they bring back Andrew and Paul somehow, weekend and Bernie style, there's nothing I like about this.
0: But you, you think – weekend and Bernie style. But you think – um, <laughs> you think that – I think they're in better physical shape than Bernie was. Um, so, <laughs> um, so you think that a business with trading on 44 times earnings should be doubling those earnings in a reasonable period of time. Absolutely. I mean, that's effectively
1: the way I think well, about it. Well, you want 25% growth, I would have thought, in earnings. Yeah, and so this is not that business. We're just losing earnings, yeah. so it's dropping. It's and it's been dropping consistently. It's not as if it was just like on one bad year. It's been flat to down. It, there's there's very little, and this is, I think this should look at the Australian market. There's so much uh, recency bias or cognitive bias in the Australian market. I think the Australian investors they they like a brand, they love it, they love it, they love it, and then they hate it. But yeah. They love it for way too long, and then they hate it too much. It goes from one extreme. So to So I, the I other. think
0: the risk, the share price risk on this, my guess is is that because they're so, their Australian business is so tied to system dynamics, you know, we're seeing a little bit of unemployment rising in Australia.
1: Well, it's got to rise. It's record lows. I
0: think if we saw a significant increase in unemployment, it would have a strongly negative effect on the Australian business. Yeah. And I think that, ironically, that might be the thing that freaks out investors. Because, you know, if you spoke to Narev today, he'd probably say, this business is being... We're not getting full credit for our international parts of our business. People think it's just mm. an Australian business. And, like, we can take that on board. But ultimately, it's still trading at 44 times earnings. Yeah. So, they're getting credit for something. But I think that, you know, Catapult investors, Catapult Australian business is 2 or 3% of revenue, something yeah. like that. It's very small. Yeah. But investors are very focused on the relationships we have mm. with the AFL and NRL and yeah. rugby in Australia because it's front of mind for them. Yeah. And so – I think that the same is probably true of SEEK, that investors are unduly focused on the performance of the Australian business. And if that suddenly had a
1: fall, I think that might pollute the water of their view of SEEK. It was inconceivable that unemployment's going lower. It's only going up. Yes, like it's, but the, it's edging it's up. It's, up. it's at 4%. Now. I'm, I'm talking about sort of 5, 10 years. Forget the next six months. Like 5, 10 years, everything, in my view, well, everything know reverts about to the mean. The, I don't it know, should revert to the mean. I don't know about – I know you say it should revert to the mean, but like
0: – I don't know about that thesis because we might have a fundamental undersupply of labour. This time it's different? Well, five I don't want Five most words in English language? That. But I do wonder if there is – I know that, like, in the tech sector, even after all of these layoffs, it is still very hard to employ tech people in Australia.
1: I saw this great – one of the newsletters I read had a great tweet. Working hard in tech. 2021. Four-day work week. 36 lines of code in the morning. Pickleball tournament and potter in the afternoon. 2024. 117 job applications, eight interviews, zero callbacks. <laughs>
0: so I'm tweet. not sure that's true. That's not my experience. That's I'm That's probably still, exaggerating. I know, well, I know. it's Like, I get that. But, like, I don't think it's even directionally correct. Like, I ah, think – It's
1: directionally correct, definitely.
0: It's still hard to employ good people in We've, tech I've in Australia. we have found
1: the quality of our team yeah. has increased significantly. We've been able to be much more picky okay. in the last – 12 months, and we've significantly increased the qual- calibre and quality of our tech team. Not that we're paying less, because we want to pay, obviously, market rates or, or higher, but the quality we can get for our dollar has gone up significantly.
0: So I know you re- we did the predictions a while ago, but... <laughs> the
1: ones you hated and re- almost uh, refused to uh, do. Don't remind me, but... Um, Drake, you're kicking and screaming so it. far, they've gone well. I predicted
0: that China was going to yeah. be a disappointment. That's what's been happening.
1: Yeah. I got one wrong. Magnificent Seven it has been pretty good, other than Tesla.
0: Yes, that's true. Are you saying that you're predicting... That unemployment is going to be five percent by the end of this year. I
1: thought that was part of it. Wasn't that one of my predictions? Oh no,
0: I didn't really pay that much attention. To be honest, <laughs> uh, was I was more panicking about my trying to think of my own predictions. So yeah. is that uh, what you said five percent. I'm
1: saying directionally, it will head up over the next five years. All right, but what's it going
0: to be at the end of this year?
1: I don't want to put, um, bet on this year. Well, you made me do predictions. <laughs> no, well, four and a half percent. Four percent at the end of this year. It's four percent now. It? Yeah, I thought it was three points something. No, it's gone up to four. Okay, four point five.
0: Okay. So I think if it went up to 4.5%, which would be another 10% rise in real yep. terms, like um, uh, that will be dramatic on the economy. That dr- will have a dramatic but impact on the, the economy.
1: When the usual rate seven or eight, not really.
0: No, but it will. Another, that that um, level of increase, which is another what, one in 20 people being unemployed in Australia, like that will have a well, – It's
1: adding an extra one in 200.
0: Is that Sorry, it's adding an extra one in 200. Yep. And so we're getting close to one in 20 people being unemployed yep. in Australia – and so I think that, yeah, I think that will have an effect. I think, I think you'll feel that in the economy.
1: I think I think you're over. So I think we can get up to 6% and you wouldn't really notice it. We're talking the, the, the edges of people who can't be stuff working or probably aren't going to be great employees. At so that kind of level, if you get a TR and a 10, which is what we're talking here, or an enter, whatever it's called. Yeah. that's You're not great. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure no one thinks this show got below 90 because we've got a pretty intelligent audience. But uh, but if you get below 10, then then you got some problems, and that's who we're talking It'll about. It'll be here. interesting to watch
0: unemployment. But the bottom line though is, I think if unemployment goes to five percent, which you think it certainly yeah. will, I think uh, you'll you'll see it in Seek's Australian business. We can, we're we're putting seek in the bucket, the, the short bucket, though, aren't we? Well, I think seek you might see investors. Uh, start feeling very uncomfortable if the Australian business is impacted by rising unemployment
1: locally. And I think they overreact and, and absolutely smash. Remember yes. in, the, in the GFC, it went down to like three bucks a share or something. Like I absolutely smashed in the GFC, obviously oversold and recovered pretty quickly. I'm not sure
0: if, uh, it's hard to disagree with your short on seek. I tell you what my caveat is. I don't know the way they value their VC portfolio. Yeah. And so I don't know mm. – it's 44 times earnings, but I, know yeah. what the, I don't know what the asset base of their VC yeah. portfolio is. I, to think, go I haven't looked.
1: Like if you go out under price And so that's there, why I'm yeah.
0: hesitant to short them because I don't yeah. know what the asset base is of their – and so uh, just to be extreme, <laughs> if the asset base of their VC – if the VC portfolio was 50% of the asset yeah. base of the company, like 20 times suddenly at, yeah. 20 times P, am I going to short that? No, so oh, – Even like, 20 times. No, I don't think – I wouldn't short it, that. Earnings, I wouldn't short that. If
1: earnings don't hold up, then – you know, and Their I, brand
0: is too strong to short it 20 times.
1: Yeah. We'll, 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 I think say goodbye. We've gone a bit long. That was a really good episode. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Good to see you back in one piece from Nepal. Uh, and we will see everybody next week. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir. If you want to submit a question for the show, please send a voice recording to Adam J. Schwab at Instagram. Today's show was produced by Mike Liberale. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please give us a rating and don't forget to tell your friends. We'll be back next week for our weekly analysis of all things growth and tech. Idea. what's your experience been with SEO across all the businesses you've worked with?
0: Well, I actually had an agency that did SEO at one point in time. And so through that, I I was not the SEO guy. And through that, I got some insight into just how um, complicated and sophisticated SEO is. And since then, I've tried a variety of different people and solutions. And it's a bit of a mix and match for me. I don't have a very sharp answer for you on that.
1: We're the same. I reckon we've cycled through a dozen agencies before we discovered Portal Ventures. And these guys are the real deal. We actually used them at Luxury Escapes and our SEO traffic has jumped dramatically. We also use them at a business called Bookwell, which I used to chair. And the SEO there was so good, we actually were able to sell the business to the global leader, almost purely based on how much organic traffic we had from SEO. The guys at Portal Ventures work with some of the best Australian marketplaces and e-commerce businesses, including Flipper, Programmer, Mad Pause, Camplify, and Autoguru. These guys are literally the best of the best. Exclusive to Contrarians listeners, the team at Portal will give you a free one-hour consultation if you mention Contrarians. To get in touch with Mike and the team, call them on 1300 121 261 or go to www.portal.ventures.